0: What would it mean to you, that sentence, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet? Well, to me it would mean that you're a liar. You've seen it twice, once with Laura, oops, and once with me and Dick, remember? We had that conversation about the guy making Beretta shotgun ammo off screen in the 14th century. Right, all right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it, and I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I'd think that you're a cinematic idiot and I'd feel sorry for it. All right, but from that one sentence, would you think that I was going to see it? I'm sorry, Rob, I'm struggling here. You're asking me what would I think if you told me you hadn't seen a film that you have already seen. What am I supposed to say? Just listen to me. If I said to you... I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet, yes. Would you get the impression that I really wanted to see it? Oh, uh... Well, you couldn't have been desperate to see it, otherwise you'd have already gone. Right, I'm not gonna see that movie. But the word yet yeah you know what i get the impression that you wanted to see it otherwise you'd have said you didn't want to go but in your opinion would i definitely go how the fuck am i supposed to know probably why because it's a brilliant film it's so funny and violent and the soundtrack kicks fucking ass i never thought i'd say this but can i go work now
1: Hello there and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan and I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode three-ish? 3 ish 3A 3A yeah 3.1? Three, 3.1 three three one. Three, three yeah yeah well i guess i suppose so i guess yeah it's point whatever point to 2 like if so you're if i'm point 3.1, year, 3.2, it would suggest that yours is an improvement over mine. No, it would suggest that mine's further behind yours, right? No, yours oh, is the
2: newer I'm... model. Got it. I don't think that's accurate, though. I don't think that makes any sense. It
1: doesn't make any sense. So no. there's, this will be hard to do. When let's I na- do 3A. 3A, when I name this in the, in the thing, it'll just be the name of the movie. Um, because who cares? But for the purposes of like talking about it, let's just call it 3A. That's fair. We're in the the 3s. Yeah. It's 3. Even six my wife episodes, was like six episodes left. She was like could not believe that we made it. She's yeah. like I can't believe you did it you've done like this many episodes of this. And I was like I really kind of can't either. Some some friends of mine were surprised I even finished it. They thought I was going to give up on it. Cuz of death they're just like you were going to be like fuck that guy. No, just be like get tired of it. I've I've been tired of it a bunch of times, but we still do it. You persevere. No, well cuz you know what I don't get tired of like coming over here to drink. Sometimes you get tired of all the other stuff surrounding, like, the obligation to watch a bunch of movies. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm, that fucking weighs down on me, but, like, just coming over here to talk about movies and drink beers. Well, it's it's nice that we're doing one of our movies each week
2: now, and not, like, both of them.
1: Yeah, it is very freeing, mm-hmm. because I was done watching movies, like, this weekend. Yeah. And right. I have, I've had, like, the whole week to just kind of... I mean,
2: I, I watched all those, all three movies within the past 24 hours, too, so... But
1: you you had the freedom to do that if you wanted to. I did, right? I did. You were felt That's... very. You felt you could watch everything you needed to watch in twenty four hours. Is this a segue.
2: Oh, you kept saying no. freedom, and I, I thought you were saying your beer relates to freedom.
1: I don't know if my beer relates to freedom. I'm not sure what it relates to. It. Uh, we had a couple of good beers uh, in the fall from uh, Abomination. Oh no, brewing. What? Abominable this, or abomination? Abomin-
2: is this the milkshake beer that I saw?
1: Astronaut. Oh my god! I almost picked this up today. Astronaut ice cream milkshake. <laughs> I'm very excited. It is a milkshake-style double India pale ale with astronaut ice cream, strawberry, vanilla, cacao nibs, and lactose.
2: I saw this, and I saw the beer that I have as my side beer, which is, and I was like, I was like, I really want to get this beer. And oh, I was like, good! I'm
1: glad I could come through. And I didn't.
2: Oh man! So I got two of the beers I wanted.
1: I don't know, Mario. It's it's good things exciting. are going to happen to us.
2: Um, very Store cold, drink fresh. Nine point one percent. Nine point one. Yeah. I mean, we did break our rule. We said we're gonna not go below seven point five. But
1: when I saw something really kind of different, I yeah, was just this, like, "This is this this." I this gotta ha- break the rules. Yeah. If this was my week, um,
2: I mean, next. If this was like my number two week, mm-hmm. I would have broke the rule. for So this here's deal. the
1: thing, Mario. Do you know what astronaut ice cream tastes like? Yeah, it's like a. I don't, I don't know
2: what it tastes it like. It kind of tastes like a sweet, sweeter, dry. you know, like the dry, non-dairy creamer you get mm. in the motels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, imagine that with a little sweetness. Okay. It has a block. Oh. But like a spongy, hard block.
1: It smells good.
2: Well, it does. Ba-doop. You know what? I'll be right back. You, you start describing this. I want to see what it looks like. Okay, right yeah. Good glass.
1: idea. Hmm. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> oh wow! That tastes like um, that tastes like melted strawberry ice cream with a little bit of hops. Wow, that's good. Hmm. you want a glass? Thank you, sir. Roll that around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good.
2: I'm expe- Ooh, that's not the color I was expecting. I was expecting like a darker brown.
1: Yeah. Ooh, good pour. Good pour. Sound effects. Oh, that's a that's a good haze.
2: This didn't feel like a, a beer to drink out of the can. You know what? Ooh. What, you know what has Smell a
1: good that. haze? Is I actually put some of that hoof-hearted Brewing, the uh, Combat Spandex, mm. in a glass, and it was like. T- completely and totally <laughs> opaque in ways that I hadn't seen in a long time. That's like
2: strawberry and lactose on the nose. It's really good. Ooh. That's delicious.
1: A little bit of strawberry ice cream, a little, little strawberry, a little vanilla. I'm not getting the cacao. I'm not getting the cacao either, but here's my theory on the cacao, is that it's the bitterness of the cacao is attached to the hops a little bit and is maybe doing something to that flavor. It's like yeah. brightening that flavor up a little bit. Maybe well, they're using a little like salt,
2: where no, it's well, just cacao, punching stuff up. Well, cacao bitters are often used to unsweeten coffee liqueur drinks. Mm. So maybe that's what's going on here. It's good. It's used to like bring down that sweetness. Because I kind of expect this could have been really sweet.
1: I don't know, Mario. I feel like we should save yours. Oh, no, we can't save it because we're doing it. Would they have more than one four-pack of that? Your other one? Your side hustle?
2: Um, yeah, but it's going to be gone. It's so popular. Oh, really? Yeah. like It's
1: It's highly reviewed. Guys, are your fucking reviews? Is there a way to do that? What? Re- think about reviews. Do you want to talk about Armand White, the revelation that Armand White did not get an opportunity to screen the Justice League movie? He did? <laughs> he did not. That's amazing. They denied him access. <laughs>
2: That is fantastic.
1: Um, and, uh, I, actually, that's a, good, that's a good segue. Armand White, speaking of Armand White, has decided that, um, God love him, that Coming to America too Coming to America, is better than all the movies I got nominated for Oscars this year. It wasn't even eligible. No, no, but it's just better. Okay. It's a better movie. Than every single one. Than every single one. And now we know what those are because Oscar nominations came yeah,
2: out this been, week. Been announced. Even better than the Shaun the Sheep movie Farmageddon.
3: Yeah, which did I he, didn't
2: even know happened. Did he point out Shaun the Sheep? I think that was like a, right at the beginning of like before pandemic. Completely. Yeah,
1: I, don't, I, I missed it. And it's funny because I love Shaun the Sheep, but I missed that one. It'd be funny um, if we turned this whole Oscar podcast, this Oscar conversation, into just discussing Sean the Sheep's odds.
2: Yeah, it was released on Netflix on February fourteenth
1: uh, uh, so of last year.
2: Who cared about television back then? Yeah, nobody. Um, but yeah, but you know what? This year, kind of for the most part, to me, unsurprising. The Thomas Vinterberg thing to sound surprising, but a lot of betting sites had kind of put him in there as a the dark horse for mm-hmm. a director. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah made its presence felt quite throughout um you know i I thought for a second there was going to sneak into director get a little bit of a weirdness with them deciding to put lakeith stanfield in supporting despite him being campaigned for lead Mm. which is rare you don't see an actor getting campaigned for something put in a different spot
1: well i didn't think that that was allowed so i i thought you had to submit in specific categories i think i think the
2: voters and the people who nominate just decide Hmm. Like typically it's like for your consideration, put him in this category and enough people went like no. Which makes me wonder how many people put Daniel Kaluuya in lead. I, I do yeah. I bet you some people put Daniel Kaluuya in lead. But that's so
1: weird cuz why wouldn't they just why wouldn't they switch things? Like why didn't Viola Davis get automatically switched to best actress her fences year? You know what I mean? Like
2: people listen to the for your consideration
1: except for Lakeith Keith Stanfield. They're like you go where we tell you to go. They're we still, actually don't like still him.
2: stuck in the get out mindset that he's just yeah, able yeah. to be a you
1: know a little um, avatar for them. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy for the I'm happy for all those guys. I'm happy that all of those that generation of actors coming from those movies. I'm happy that they actually let's put it this way. I'm happy that like the get out Atlanta crew are starting to kind of like get rewarded with things like if yeah. zazie beats can get one next year for nine days if brian tyree henry can make people pay any attention to him and just give him honorary academy awards for being in widows like child that play would be two. great if they make a child to play too he'll, he'll sneak in there supporting actor for his one scene in joker
2: <laughs> it's one of the better performances in that tarp garbage
1: movie but yeah I thought it was an interesting year I thought it was uh, or I think I think it was interesting for what got left off I'm not super sad about <laughs> yeah, certain things I things. typically be upset about I'm more
2: I'm overwhelmed by my happiness of other things happening mm-hmm. you know at for example collective getting its double nomination yeah Paul Ratchie getting in there yep Jared Leto and Aaron Sorkin not getting in there. Aaron Sorkin for director, I should say. That know? was
1: very. That was actually kind of the best. That was like one of the best things that came out of that. Um, I'm sad that it's he's still got is being recognized for other stuff, but I guess maybe the screenplay he wrote would have been more palatable and not so stupid, directed by somebody who knew how to direct movies. Yeah, the thing I love right now is
2: the way Wikipedia is organized. Is best international feature film is the top category the first category you see. That nice. should be the last Oscar they give out, just the international feature. Um, I, I guess the biggest sadness I have is, is the Ma Rainey's miss in picture. Mm. This is the first year I've seen all but, I think, one of the nominees before the Oscar nominations have uh-huh. been announced. And well, I've seen Father, what, two weeks at least before, because the Oscars are April 15th this year? The 15th? The 25th. The 25th. Oh, my I God. Won't, I won't even be in town for the Oscars. Um... Yeah, so I think, you know, having seen all of these movies, I like a chunk of them. <laughs> and I dislike one, in in Chicago 7, and I was okay with another in Mank, and I hated one of the one that's going to win most likely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I Nomadland's definitely my number 1 my... worst film of 2021 thus far. <laughs> I mean, I'm I hope that's not going to stand.
2: I don't think it's going to stand. There, I could see it having a shot at remaining in my bottom five.
1: I don't know. I mean, you. I think you're going to have to do. You would have to do some personal work to get it, to keep it there. Yeah. Don't forget, probably. this is this should be a regular movie year, so we're going to get a lot of shit like at some shit that people thought might have been good last year, and they were just like, "Oh, we're going to save it," and then stuff's going to come out and you're gonna be like, Mm-mm, "No, that wasn't worth saving." Yeah, I don't see it lasting.
2: I. Uh, it's still the, the freshness of disappointment, I guess, yeah. with no man. Land. And I guess my
1: po- feeling about Nomadland, Land, I would love, there's like five other movies on that list that I would love to see win, and the two that I don't want to see, or four other movies before it that I would like to see win, and I just don't know about Father um, and Trial of Chicago 7 shouldn't win anything. Um, but before I think.
2: you'd want to see Win Above It Promising
1: Minari, Judas, and. Oh, I don't want to see Meg, So it would be my fourth. Your fourth. Okay. My fourth. My number four. Um. But I think it's representative of kind of like the film year. What would be your second on that? Minari.
2: Yeah, I think Minari would be my number two. I think I think we're similar in that it'd be Judas Minari, promising. Yeah, I'd like I'd like to see Emerald Fennell in director. I
1: don't love Promising Young Woman, but I think it's I think it's good, and I think it would be a it would be a kick ass fucking like best picture winner. And I also think it would be representative of this year. You know what I mean about no. this? Just really, really fucking strange film year. This Bo Burnham co-feature with a Paris Hilton song and directly in the middle of it. It bops though.
2: That, it, it's good. It's it a good works. scene. It works. It works well. Yeah, but you know we usually piss on the Oscar nominations, and this is a year where I'm just like, you know,
1: whatever. Yeah, the th- they're not like. There's no. Um, I don't know. Trial of Chicago Seven is like the worst offender here right, to me. You know what I mean? Like, the least deserving thing that's up for major awards.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, the conversation could be had about Glenn Close, but... Um,
1: I mean, she's...
2: I don't care about that. I, if I she wins, I'm going to fucking freak out, I think, but I don't think she's going to win. I think she's fine in that film, but it's just I hate that movie, uh, mostly because I think we should melt J.D. Vance,
1: but... I feel like he's already been melted.
2: He's still, he's still kind of a thing. I think
1: I think he's. Uh, I would hope that the J.D. Vance era of
2: <laughs> everything is over. I'd hope so too. But um,
1: yeah. I, like I said, my biggest disappointment.
2: Well, also the five bloods. Just, but I think we had resigned ourselves to the five bloods makes that, me, that happening. That makes me more. I think the Oscars hate Spike Lee. I know. I think the Oscars. You no, know, what I think happened. I think that's a mix of that, and I think the Oscars went. It's too much Netflix. I think they're like, this there's this thing is full of Netflix and we can't have it. Oh. My happiest thing though. I completely forgot about this. Unfortunately, Dick Johnson is dead, had to die for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Boys State being left off. Oh yeah, fuck oh. you, Boy
1: State. Yeah, go fuck yourself Terry. Well that here's the thing fuck. that I think what happens sometimes when they do these Oscar nominations, that like stuff will get left off that everyone was like, It's the best movie ever, and then people will be like well, oh, yeah, that was actually no good. It's going to be forgotten. Right. It's just over. And now
2: Crip Camp will be remembered, which is good. Right. Because everyone thought Crip Camp was going to get forgotten, and now Crip Camp gets, gets its time.
1: Well, that's the thing. and Also, the... the well, what? Do we think time... Time's going to win, yeah.
2: I think Collective might think I think, think time's going to win. I, you know what? Because I think...
1: Isn't documentary voted by everybody now? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure time will win. Hmm. Just this is where one of the things that I do I think the Oscars I, didn't, I never saw my Octopus Teacher by the way I didn't either yeah. but that's the thing I like the idea that like they're nominating movies that we haven't seen I I and we I saw love, a lot of documentaries I we... love documentary feature this year because it's so eclectic it's weird yeah but that's good isn't it that's what I think the Oscars one of my happiest things about the Oscars this year is that they seem to kind of reject some of like the 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 uh, pre ordination that some of the other awards and like yeah. the odds makers had. Kind of
2: I never actually ended up seeing it. But like everyone kind of preordained that for a national feature mm-hmm. film. But you know, it didn't yeah. happen. I mean another round taking that category easily,
3: but
1: Yeah. And then another round's a great movie. Yeah, another round. Like, yeah. Liked it a lot. Um let's talk about some movies that we have uh, mixed feelings for now, Mario. Oh, that we don't sure. like a lot. Um Oh yeah, we're gonna start with the one. Uh so the first one on our list is the new Disney Plus premium access subscription whatever. Um, I don't remember when this movie was going to come out. Was it going to come out at this time?
2: I I believe it was originally scheduled to come out around this time. Um, I didn't realize this was only a hundred million dollar movie. It was originally scheduled for November.
1: Oh, okay. Um, But it came out in March. Uh, It is Raya and the Last Dragon. Six years of searching.
3: Please let this be it. C2. Ah! Who said that? We really need your help. Ah, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not like the best dragon. Have you ever done like a group project, but there's like that one kid who didn't pitch in as much, but still ended up with the same grade?
0: Uh, we're doomed. You and the dragon are coming with me. Hmm. My sword here says we're not. <laughs>
3: broken you can't trust anyone maybe it's broken because you don't trust anyone you just have to take the first step
1: uh so there was something called Kumadra uh in some kind of at some point in the history of this land and um there was uh this thing called the the droob, Droon. the Droon. Droon. which look like they look like the enemies from the video game Prey. It, me and the kids thought it looked like uh, in Zelda Breath of the Wild, oh, the Malice, right? It looked yeah. like the Malice. That, that's a um, better example. It kind of so it's this purple shit that like eats people and turns them to stone, and it's apparently um, a manifestation of like bad feelings it's in the so land. It's their life. And it doesn't like water, um, and then so the dragons fight it back, and the dragons, because um, there's dragons in this land, and then they create these five dragons create this kind of, or four dragons create this gem, and then the fifth dragon, um, oh, what's her name, Susie, Susie, um, uses it to kind of dispel. Sisu, the, sorry, Sisu. Sisu. uses it to dispel the drone, and there's a certain amount of prosperity and happiness and peace in the land except for the fact that uh the land has been divided into five sections that are um you know represented by these uh parts of the dragon there's fang and there's claw and
2: there's fang heart spine talion and tail tail each of them having their own like video game location <laughs> yeah which i thought was which, which was, i like i thought was good i yeah. think the world building in this movie is awesome i think so too um And then... They're all uh, connected by, like, a central world hub of the boat, which is also great. Daniel Day Kim's
1: character... This would
2: make a really good video game.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that. Uh, Daniel Day Kim uh, plays the chief of the Heart Clan, who is the keeper of the the gem. Um, And his daughter is uh, Raya, voiced by Kelly Marie Tran, who I thought was really, really good. Like, really good. Like, ridiculously good. Um, Some of the best, like, voice...
2: Acting I've seen in yeah. Disney film in years, and,
1: I, and we'll talk about some aspects of that. But I, it, it re, like, she did an amazing fucking job. Um, I think everyone does a fantastic job in this, outside of one person. Well, and I, th- and I think it works in theory, but I think sometimes there's some lines that are just. I think too it's the much. character that doesn't make that that doesn't make it work. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, they uh, the chief invites all the other clans to the heart. Um, Land, so they can the Heartland, uh, so they can kind of rebuild the Kumadra, and then um, Fang tricks them and steals the gem, and then in the process of stealing the gem, the gem breaks, and then a piece of the gem gets picked up by all the other the leaders of all the different tribes. Six years later, Raya is uh, attempting to recover the gem, which brings back the, the drune, which brings back the drone. Raya is attempting to uh, find Sisu. Um, she does find Sisu, voiced by Aquafina. Uh, they set off on a quest to, um, recover the rest of the gems so that Sisu can then dispel the Drone and bring all the stone people back, including Raya's father, who got turned to stone. Um, who could have easily jumped into the water with Raya, but didn't because it's of leg, leg, leg arrow. Leg, leg, you try to have hops when you have a leg. He did not have hops! He could just tipped himself over! Um... And then, uh, needless to say, um, there was a moment where I thought at the end of this movie that it was going to turn into the end of AI, and it, it like for one beat, and I was like, "Oh, they're gonna! Oh, they're gonna do it!" And then they didn't do it. And oh. then everything gets saved, and everyone's happy, yeah, and blah blah.
2: blah. Like five hundred, another five hundred years later, they all get yeah. Under- that that would have been good,
1: didn't you think? I mean, I don't maybe no, you didn't think I that because I, I love a, I love that part of AI so much. I was like, oh, they're going to do it. They're just going to leave them, and they're going to be uh, um, a couple. I mean, I think actually think this is going to be a, a complicated conversation that I think we can have really, rather quickly. I liked it from the standpoint that I literally think Disney doesn't do anything that doesn't suck when it comes to like um, animated movies. I think they almost got there with Moana. I almost got there. Um, to a movie that sucks? To a movie that was like r- like a really good movie. Got it. But it still c- it clung too closely to all the shitty Disney conventions um, between like uh, some great set pieces and some great kind of emotive moments and stuff like that. Um, and I thought this kind of worked on a Moana level. They ditched the singing. There's no fucking singing. Um, it's Kind outside of outside ha- of
2: whatever fucking terrible song plays at the credits. Oh.
1: That thing's gonna oh. get nominated for an Oscar. That's awful. I'm that song is awful.
2: Don't know what it is. I'm but not they do that, that at the end I-
1: of all the Disney movies. Yeah, this one was
2: <laughs> especially
1: atrocious. Particularly glaring. Um I think it's So I think I think it I think it works. I think it's a little more sophisticated than the traditional Disney shit. In the, what way? I think the 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 idea of, and I'm trying not to, I was trying not to read too much like current political climate stuff into the messaging of this movie, mm. but the message of, um, like, if you have to work together to have prosperity, but Fang's kind of, and the, the leader of Fang, voiced by Sandra Oh, who I thought was really good too, um, and Gemma Chan does, um, do you have the names in front of you? I forgot my paper. Uh, Namari's Gemma Chan. Namari. Um, Verana,
2: I think, is the name of the... Sandra Sandra Oskar. So
1: I think they're... And I think the movie really smartly brings up the idea that the way that they're kind of going about... Because of the nature of, of everything, the world they live in, they're doing the smartest thing they can for their people. They're not inherently cruel people. They're not evil. They just kind of want to build the safest version of their land that they can do it. I
2: think that's... And there's from, there's not a, a clear-cut, like, you know, Ray, uh, Raya doesn't
3: have... Raya has no... no it doesn't have extreme tr- doesn't trust, have trust at the all. The trust thing.
2: And, and it doesn't play off of, like, you have to trust people. Because she does, and it, you know, blows up in her face. And then she does it again, and it blows up in her face. So it says, like, have trust, but also, like, have trust in the right moment
1: Well and, sort of and, Not even in the right moment. There's a certain amount of, like... I thought a very subtle kind of, like, um, xenophobia message in the end of that, too, because she does trust certain people implicitly. Like, she trusts Benedict Wong's Tong, who, which is great. Benedict Wong, I mean, Benedict Wong is having, like, a fucking 2021, tremendous yeah. 2020, 2020 2021 between. Didn't you
2: look at her collar? <laughs> right but there. But kickery.
1: My kids loved Benedict Wong. Um, her name is right there. I, I just, that's my favorite line in the movie. The, uh, so she does trust certain people implicitly, but they kind of earn her trust by uh, taking advantage of her first. So like the babies, the kid, Benedict Wong. like Everyone tries to do mean things to her, and then they stop doing mean things to her, and then B-Bong? she trusts her. Does Yeah, because he, he ties her up, and he's like threatening her. And he's saying how he's going to kill her. No. And then she's like, well, you don't have it in me to kill kill me. And he's like, oh, you're right, I don't. You know what I mean? So it's all this kind of stuff. For some reason, this one other person, this one person is the one person she can't, like, even though she did a bad thing to her too, that she can't bring herself to trust. You know what I mean? It's, and so there's that kind of um, implicit, non-rationalized uh, Bias, I think, is but again, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that they went into this movie to do that, but it's there, and because of that, it's a little more sophisticated than you got to find love, you got to be yourself. Like, that's I mean, because that's what most of the Disney movies are is yeah. got to find love, got to be yourself. End. End of themes. I thought, I thought, I'll turn it over to you a second. I thought it looked fucking amazing, looks yeah, fucking still. great. Um, all the voice acting is good. It's a little, little dry, like, in terms of, like, things that happen. Like, I never... Maybe because you've seen too many... I've seen too many Disney movies. I never thought, except for at the end, that they, like, weren't going to accomplish the things that they were going to accomplish. And so, like... The, oh, except for that m- except, AI except moment. Except for the yeah. AI moment. Um, So, the video game aspect of it, I thought, was real in the sense that, like, you just... Hit a boss and then you just beat the boss. You know what I mean? And then you just there's move that, on to the next thing and there's still like boss fight in this though. <laughs> no, no, but like but it's the the boss fight are the the set pieces. Um, and so, going to each land and acquiring yeah. the thing is kind of like the boss thing. I, I never felt for a second that they weren't going to do any of those things. But to that end, for me, it was just kind of lighthearted and good, and a little heavier than I thought it was going to be. And so, like a little ultimately rewarding. I think the thing I've left out, which I'll turn over to you to talk about, is the dragon, and I love the dragon. I think it. I think it works better when it's just about two women. Trying to accomplish something than it is about uh, a, a sassy dragon. Yeah, no, I, I agree.
2: Um, you know, just just to, to start, yeah, easily the best looking animated film in terms of the CGI era that they've made. Yeah, um, you know, they've they've gotten to the point now where water and hair effects are near perfected. Like there's there's moments. Where Sisu's in the water and the dynamics of her water of her hair under the water versus above the water mm-hmm. are flowing with two different levels of physics that are impressive. Yep. There's a later scene after the rain comes and Raya hugs Sisu, mm-hmm. and it's a minor thing, but the impression of Raya's like hug is left in like the her hair, fur. Yeah. and it slowly comes is coming back up, and so the attention to detail there is just just miraculous. I I don't see how this. Doesn't next
1: year get the visual effects Oscar? Because like mm. it's, well, it's, it's going to be hard. Who didn't? Soul has been actually. It's funny. I criticized you a lot, not a lot. I just said like Soul's in a text that like Soul isn't like as is an animated film doesn't shouldn't qualify for visual effects, and it got people were saying it should be nominated for visual effects. I think it did get a visual effects nomination somewhere. It did not. No. Not in the Oscars, but it's no, like but... I think some in some kind of one of the maybe the. Um, guild awards or something like that gave it okay but continue um but i i guess my and
2: once again the world building i think is is great early on um you know like the everything has a really defined sort of space mm-hmm. um maybe heart and fang are the least well defined uh because they're, you're you're two central things so they have to like have some sort of depth um but this that, that scene that entire market aspect of italian mm-hmm. it's just like one of the coolest looking kind of sets yeah and world building sort of thing mm-hmm. um that i've seen from a disney film in a long time I, I wish i'd seen more from like spine because spines kind of seemed interesting but it's mm. kind of just used to and and this is kind of my main fault with it is is things seem a bit rushed. Uh, a lot of the, some of the, the yeah, yeah, critical yeah. reviews I've seen this said this would have worked much more as like a, a Disney Plus limited series. And I think that's probably accurate. I think I think it needed a lot more room to breathe. You're creating a, a interesting world um, and you have five clearly delineated kind of worlds. You have some sort of major central conflict that even if you know it's going to be resolved for the most part in the end um, you're left... <laughs> just quickly rushing through two of them. I mean, tail and talion are kind of Talon are kind of nothing things. Not well, Talion. uh Tail and Spine end up being very quickly rushed through. and the issue with that being you spend so much time in that first act, which is, which is smart. I think I think you should spend that much time in the first act building like the, the wish to get back to Kumadra.
1: Um that it ends up feeling disappointing when you rush through it. Well, and I think to that point, I think an easy way to do that is just show the collapse of those like communities. Like yeah. before Raya gets there, just show them back right. yeah. Some you know yeah, at some exactly. point, so we get a sense of of what life is like there, and then which you is can great. quickly which stamp is, it out which is, if you, you want. Can,
2: like. You can also use that with like when they do that introduction of each of the five lands with the two D the two D but still CGI animation aspects, yeah. which is. Looks That's good too. I mean, they artistic. do that all
1: the time now in these movies, but this looked
2: good. Yeah, looked really it, good. It, it it feels well integrated. Yep. Um. But my my main conflict with this, my main my main my main point where I, I see this is kind of more of a minor and kind of a failure in the Disney films. is One, um, amongst this like a tremendous cast of characters who have like some sort of even though they're not most fully developed here, like, um, ideas, you know, they're, they're somewhat dimensional and they're led by tremendous voice acting. Kelly Marie Tran, like as we said, she's just amazing, funny, like ridiculous. Right. Um, Gemma Chan knows how to like, re- Spawn to that, like they feed off each other so well. Right, the charisma there, um, that it ends up being you know Aquafina Sisu sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. She's hitting and, it hard, and it's not necessarily a fault of her performance because when Aquafina is required to come to a more dramatic stance in the in the character, she hammers. It, yeah. She hammers it. You know, we've, we've seen that in the farewell that she could hammer that, but. The way the script was written was that Cece was kind of this, you know, fish out of water. And they put all of the humor on her and Bond, sort of, yeah. you know? And um, her just – it doesn't land. And and it, it, it pins to my biggest problem with this film is that there are no stakes. Mm. You know from the first moment that people are turned to stone – and then unturned from stone, and the second you see the droon turn everyone to stone, you're like, all those people are gonna become unstone mm-hmm. and i I mean, I texted you kind of tongue in cheek saying, like God, I wish you know riot de- like cuts Namari in half because and, I, and, I, and it's also a fault i think I don't think Namari earns her redemption um but no, I was just, she's gonna I'm, steal everything at the end <laughs> anyway. I was just looking for the fact of like. It establishes in this world that the Druun, whatever the Druun do, can be undone. Mm -hmm. Um, If you had put something in there, like, in order to undo this curse, it requires some sort of sacrifice of life or whatever. Like, one life to undo it all. You know, to kind of like, because the Druun are this life-stealing force, it requires some sort of life to kind of undo it all. Mm -hmm. Just something. But this movie states from its get-go that, you know, you collect the stone and the Droon are defeated and that the dragons didn't come back because of a sacrifice the dragon it says it from the start the dragons didn't come back because they just chose to not come back right um and when that happened i was just like so you know from minute 20 i was just like so this movie's gonna end with everything back and nobody dead and everything fine and you know unless you're a druun and and so i ended up I ended up just feeling as though I'm like why am I watching this? Well, I had and, that and that was my my problem with it is like I I know you don't need to
1: have intense stakes, but I need it's something. Something. And that's kind of how I felt when she said that thing about like you know, I'm not a very good dragon or something like that. And I was like, why? Are you not a very good dragon? Like why does this have to be your character? And then throughout the movie you're just like, well, you're a fine dragon. And I thought like I- I'm not sure why like you need to I'm not sure why that needs to be part of this like I need to re- as a I as a dragon need to redeem myself in the eyes of my brothers and sisters. And I, I
2: thought there was a good moment where the where that flashback was happening, and she was showing her brothers and sisters that like she was going to require her part of herself mm-hmm. to like make so it too. complete, and but that she was she too did. afraid. But that's not what happens. They're just like we decided that you are going to be the holder of this. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, so she didn't do anything wrong. Um, and, and that's, that's the thing, is is a lot of what the ideas and the morals of this film kind of end up teaching are either really obvious or end up being so utterly off-keel from the story being told. Like when Namari says, like, Sisu's death when Sisu's temporarily killed is just as much your fault. And it's like,
1: no, it's not. <laughs> Well, that's a filmmaking... And I thought that, too. That's a filmmaking failure because they then just don't show her finger about to pull the trigger. Like, yeah. if you want us to believe that that's true, fine. But don't show us with Namari about to kill Sisu. Why would you show us that if you want us to believe that Raya is also at fault? Why is she bringing a
2: crossbow to that huh. at all? You know? Like, like there's, there's so many ways that that could have been handled. There's so many ways that could be handled. And the issue comes in that the film is telling us to think or feel a certain way, but it's not doing what it needs to do to earn those story beats.
1: Yeah, I I don't um, I don't disagree with that. I think it's it's one of the I think, um, and this is not to throw it in your face or anybody else's face. I think it's one of the things like when you watch stuff with your kids is that like I was trying to watch it critically, like just from a critically stamp, critical standpoint, but from just like. A dad standpoint, I was like, this is way better than, like, tons of shit that they, <laughs> my kids watch or that I've shown them just because it's a thing to do, you know what I mean? Just because it's, like, another thing to watch. Um, you know, they, they just, what did they just watch? They, there's this new Jennifer Garner movie. Have you seen this? Yes Day. Um, which they oh, heard about that yeah um which they they liked, and which is funny, but which is very typical of like every single other movie that 's exactly like what you imagine the plot of yesterday is, and I think Raya is a little different. it does seem to miss on the ways that would make this a more complicated like in all the ways you 've just described it, which would make this a more complicated, complex uh psychologically or narratively interesting film. But it seems to hit all the ways that makes it just a baseline level enjoyable film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which, while still feeling like you're not, you don't have to lose an aspect of your, I don't know. I feel like when I watch Frozen and I'm just like, sure, this is great. It's because I'm giving up some piece of myself to to, to kind of get through the get through the film like you don't have to work to get through this film no it's just why when it's over you're just kind of like yeah I guess I, I saw that I did, was gonna how it was gonna work for sure I mean I even called I the, think there's so many things working for this film that's disappointing when you can call a turn like when I when uh, the uh, Raya kid was going to put the Numari kid take the Numari kid to the thing and I was like oh the Numari kid's gonna steal this and uh and then um oh did you wanna just give it to me? Oh thank you, sir. Don't drink it yet though. Um then Marikin is gonna steal this, this thing and then and then G did. Because that's just how these things work. The talent Kid. Well, Namari as a child. Oh, the Namari as a child. When like Raya that. was going to show her the thing, and she was, I was like, she's one hundred percent going to steal. Yeah, this. and
2: I was, I wasn't too bothered by that. I guess, I guess, I I guess bo- it's just it's, there's so much expertise going on elsewhere in this yeah, world. Yeah, it just yeah, yeah. It felt like a bummer. It felt like there was there could have been there was a lot of sophistication to the performances, a lot of sophistication to the world building and to the animation. You want that, to have to match. something so rote, yeah, in terms of a story beat. Was was disappointing. I think it's to fair have,
1: to have another single parent story. Come on. Well, so I had a theory on that. Stop that. I think they're just they do that stuff because they don't have the uh, screenplay writing acumen to um, show a relationship between two parents. So they're just like, just get rid of a parent, and then the relationship is... Or a relationship between three people, and they're just like, just get rid of one person, and then you just have a relationship between two people. That's, that's much easier to write. See, one of these days they have to just be like... They have to do the, the
2: other lazy thing and be like, Oh, your mother's at a faraway land. Moving on. <laughs> Six years
1: later, she's still there. Do the great thing, your mother's at a faraway land, because of her period. Because this is in an ancient times, and this is how we dealt with those things, right? Yeah. She has to sit outside the, the temple. She has to go to a place. Once a month, she goes to a spa. Yeah, Disney needs to embrace those like really old-school yeah, Greek absolutely. medical things.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I don't really have a segue for this, except confusion. Because I'm pretty sure in the book that we're going to talk about the character's name was Nico Walker. And not Cherry. He's called Cherry in the film. I didn't think they called him anything. I don't think they called him anything either. I don't think they call him anything in the book. I think they say something like Walker occasionally in lines. It's been six months since I've, I've read this book, but I think I do feel they say Walker at some point.
1: Should I put the clip in now?
2: Yeah, we're talking about the Russo brothers. Good job, guys. They're uh, Cherry. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for a robbery if
3: they're not in some kind of desperation. I've been at this a while now, and it's no secret what my face looks like.
2: Get on the ground! One thing about robbing banks is you're mostly robbing women, so the last thing you want to be is rude. Ma'am, it's nothing personal.
3: You're gonna make it through this.
1: I love you look back to when you met the one you loved the most and remember exactly how it was
0: what you saw in her that made you say yes this is what i came here
3: sometimes i feel like i've already seen everything that's gonna happen and it's a nightmare to
2: start I'm not going to call this motherfucker Cherry like it says in the Wikipedia thing. Is I don't even remember in the credits if he's credited as Cherry, but that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Unnamed narrator played by Tom Holland. I didn't watch the credits. Yeah. Is a college student. He's broke. He digs some drugs. He digs some ecstasy. He digs some Xanax. He's Chilling out, Maxin, relaxing all cool, and he likes this nice. girl
1: Emily. Shooting some b-ball outside of cool.
2: Yeah, uh, he likes this girl Emily in his English class. You know, he kind of digs her. They mm. they hook up a bit. She likes having the white ribbon around her neck. He's broke though; doesn't have any money. He tries to take some. He pays off his uh... debt, and uh... what's going on there?
1: I I don't have my paper. I want to take notes so Got I ahead. can like respond to specific things. Got. It. But I don't got a paper
2: Um And So you know him and Emily Start getting together and eventually She says that she's going to Montreal Because she wants to get away and he gets pretty sad About that so he decides to sign up For the military Signs up for the army Become a medic And you know we're, we're, in, we're in the early 2000s The height of the Iraq war an Afghanistan war. Um, and he eventually gets enlisted. Uh, before what he does, him and Emily kind of have a little talk. And they realize like it's all silly. I'll uh, we'll talk about that in a yeah. second. Um, and they, they get married. And he goes off to war. He has some very traumatic experiences, including his friend Jimenez getting blown up by an IED.
1: Um, I was kind of sad about that. Yeah. I like Jimenez a little bit
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: I prefer what happens in the book
2: um, and uh, you know he comes back he's, he's dealing with some panic disorders he's dealing with PTSD and you know Thomas Lennon from Reno 911 decides to uh, give him Oxycontin just off the cuff they don't even really discuss much of that but just, just you know just Oxycontin he, he loves the Oxycontin and starts taking Oxycontin and kind of floating through life, and then Emily is tired of his shit, so she also starts taking Oxycontin And then eventually they're they're hooked on the drugs on the Oxycontins and the <laughs> hooked on the drugs. And the and eventually it goes to heroin and they're short for money. So uh Tom Holland decides to start robbing banks, uh, to pay off debts. Because um, he, he opens up a, He pops open a safe he he's supposed to keep For this character Black Who's also not really a thing in the book
1: um, and... Is the Black Bill Skarsgård? I don't know Because Bill well. Skarsgård's listed on On like Google as being in the cast Really? But he's not on the Wikipedia at all Yeah Who fucking cares
2: uh, um, So he starts robbing banks to get money shit gets harder and harder you know uh emily overdoses uh she goes to drug rehab but then she leaves rehab to get back with him and uh, tom holland's like this is getting too much his friendish pills and coke ends up getting shot in a botched robbery who shoots him somebody we didn't ever find out um and he dies and they steal his shoes um because they do. Mm. Uh, and then eventually it gets to a point where, you know, Tom Holland's told by Black that he has to rob a bank to pay off the the, the, the the drug debt. So he does that. And then he makes the teller slip the alarm and he shoots up on his foot and he shoots his gun in the air. While and...
1: opera's playing. Yeah. While you did not playing. say Sorry. that.
2: Sorry. Um,. Then he goes to prison for fourteen years, and then he, he grows de- a mustache. Grows a mustache because you can't make Tom Holland look like he's thirty-five. And then he gets out of prison, and then he doesn't have to do drugs anymore. He's he's the head of a drug not taken per- anonymous group. Do or whatever. you think
1: because of the mustache, the mustache I, prevents I him from so. taking drugs? I would assume so. I, th- I thought so too.
2: Uh, and then Emily has he's leaving prison. Emily's there, and she doesn't do drugs anymore either.
1: But she doesn't have a mustache. She doesn't have a mustache. So that's a hole in the plot. Uh, <laughs> and then the movie ends. How do you stop doing drugs
2: without a mustache in this uh, movie? Who knows? This is clearly the best movie of the year, Tom. Um, An absolute <laughs> success in every way. Oh geez. Uh, The Russo brothers have um, taken their auteur mindset uh, they they have seen which was on the, display the, they during seen, they have seen the sh- they Civil have War. seen you know Sheen Baker they have seen Harmony Korine yep they have seen Larry David they've they've melded those three people together <laughs> i was actually thinking of Larry Charles i think oh
1: no larry david is great <laughs> i'm going to say larry i'm
2: going to keep larry david because uh the human the humor style is probably trying to be like that they have melded those together yep they have run it through a little, a little system called a Chanel Ackerman. Oh yeah, and they have because of of the multiple scenes of of just everyday normal life. Um, I don't know about you. When I say something, red text pops up in front of me and then stops happening, and my aspect
1: ratio just changes. Um, I love that. That's a thing now in movies that people think they did that in Billy Holiday and they did it in, Ch- in Cherry. And these people must think that they're so cool changing aspect ratio. Well, the thing I love, just, just really quickly aside, is,
2: is like the Justice League having a weird aspect ratio and them really coming out quickly to be like, that's because we shot this in IMAX. It's not because we're trying to be cool.
1: You didn't see Zack Snyder say that it um, it is in the same aspect ratio as First Cow and him saying that this in First Cow, um, the new, the Zack Snyder Justice the. Snyder cut they're Justice the same, League is the is, is similar, and that he would love to see a double feature with First Cow and the you know, Snyder Cut. When you st- from the that's I've real, heard... that's real, that's a real thing he said. Oh, okay, I was like, that, I wouldn't be
2: shocked if Zack Snyder said that. He's
1: totally said that, really? Yeah,
2: he's absolutely said it. Well, while you're doing your review of Jerry, I'll be looking that up because I still am go skeptical. to um. I could just look up Zack Snyder'
1: first calendar. Yeah, part, yeah, part. probably. I saw I saw it on someone's Twitter.
2: Um, you know, but I, I, you haven't hesita- said what you thought
1: of this movie. I, yet. I
2: did. I <laughs> hesitate to say anything bad about this film. Um, I, I visibly started shaking at the end of this movie
1: because of mustaches. Because, yeah, <laughs> everyone just had a mustache. Mustaches and montages. Oh man, this movie. Uh, do you want me to go? Yeah, go on. Um, I, I want to start with two things. I want to say two things first, okay? Before we kind of get into, kind of get into it here. Tom Holland, who is? Sp- oh my God, you're not
2: lying. Zack's. Yep, that's definitely a Zack Snyder thing to say.
1: Well, Zack Snyder once said that the Fountainhead was a sexy book. That's also a Zack Snyder thing to say. Exactly. Um this is not very good. It kind of tastes like grass. I don't mind it. I don't think. But it's like, I don't think like, it's a, like a, like a, like a. We're drinking
2: right now. Feed me a stray cat. Uh, is a,
1: you know, the literary reference. Cherry's based on a Nico Walker book. This is, is it? A, does it have herbs in it? Like, is it mentioned like an herb? Because it has like an herb taste. No. Like a thyme. No, it's just a. It, it or it, rosemary. It very much leans
2: into its. Um, Brett easton Ellis connection, and that's it. It just says it's triple IPA, 10%. The oh, because do you taste rosemary? No, I just taste like a fine, slightly hazy IPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't taste like 10%. I'll give him that.
1: No, no, it doesn't. Um, it's not very aggressive. Neither is this one, though, for 9.1. That one's much better. Um, I have another one of these if you want. Oh, I don't remember shit. what I was going to say. Yeah. Tom Holland is um, really good. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think I think Bravo
2: is also pretty solid. That's
1: exactly the next place I was going to go. I actually think she's better than solid. I actually kind of love her in this. I think there's moments, that moment that she's trying to shoot up and she starts shaking yeah, and just no. she's excellent in some of these scenes. I mean, my actual review of this is I think it's a joke, but right. My actual review of this is I also think that it's a joke. I think it's a joke. I don't dislike it. Almost... I just find it hilariously what. Well, Incompetent. That's really, maybe that's like the best way to describe it. I kind of found some of these scenes, like of the heroin use, like vaguely offensive, because I don't think the Russos know what a satire is. And so if you have the hero of your, like, the hero of your movie, who you want us to believe is a hero, robbing a bank, and then telling the the, the teller to flip the switch, and then he goes out and in slow motion walks across the street while opera is just blasting i mean whoever did like the sound mixing on this should be fucking shot blasting slow motion takes his goddamn fucking shoe off and shoots up at his foot while the cops are coming should be i mean that's a joke that's funny there's no way, though, that they meant for us to feel that that's funny. So the thing that I was referencing, Dude, you know what? my issue with this, if this Go is ahead. is like, so the filming
2: started in late October, in early October 2019. Yep. Finished in February 2020. You know what bugs me about all those shots? I was watching that going like, "Oh my fucking god!" The Russos thought Todd Phillips' Joker was a good movie. Yeah. And they should. They should replicate it.
1: Yes. Yes. But Todd Phillips, to give Todd Phillips a little bit of credit, Don't I'm just going to give a little bit. Todd Phillips at least was vaguely aware of some of the satirical ways in which the Joker could, the Joker character interacts with the world. You know what I mean? A little bit. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to give you that. A little okay. bit, a little bit, just like a, just like a scotch, like the idea of. I'm the, not going to push back, but I'm not going to accept. Sure, 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 which is fine. I'll just say in reference to this, these guys, so I, I listened to an interview where they have said that they thought this movie was about the evils that big pharma has enacted upon society because of like, the opioid crisis in America. If they thought that,
2: you think they would have made the Oxycontin scene a little bigger than a, Th- a Thomas Lennon offhanded Oxycontin joke? Made by Dr. Whoever.
1: wink. Yeah. And you would have thought that that movie, this movie would have been explicitly about that. Yeah, having, having not, just
2: read Eric Iyer's Death in Mudlick, which is just all about mm-hmm. the opioid crisis in West Virginia,
1: and it's, I don't think it's... Did a, you read Dreamland yet? It's Sam Quijones. I, I have not. It's very, very good. Also about the same thing, about just, you know, but opioid crisis. But he was, he
2: was and, the... Um, but this was the Charleston Ledger. I I can't remember the Charleston Ledger. Maybe he was he was the editor, like not the editor. He mm-hmm. was one of the writers for it. I think their team won the Pulitzer. Okay. For they're kind of like yeah, uncovering. Yeah, yeah. I think there's the, a bunch
1: of good books about this. Yeah,
2: and this, but it you know, you do something to show a relation between like hydrocodone or oxycodone. There's nothing there. It's just like and, and this book, actually, you know, Cherry Negan Walker's Cherry. Kind of covers a bit of, like, how he goes from, like, drinking two bottles of gin, realizing he's tearing his body up, slowly thinks he needs psychiatric help, and that leads into, like, him being, like, prescribed opioids. Like, it doesn't do a great job, but it tries some work. Well, here's the thing that. that
1: I would say is that one of the things that kind of came to my mind when I was watching this is that, remember the MTV show True Life? Remember when MTV was kind of good and they did that show True Life? Oh, I loved, I loved all the episodes about porn. Well, there was a really good episode about, like, OCD. There was a really good... There was a couple that was of a good That was, was a good show. Back in the day, it was but, a like, good show. like,
2: 14-year-old me only watched the, the porn episode. Sure, sure, sure. Because it
1: was 14. Understandable. Um, Tom, 14-year-old Tom, watched HBO's Dream On because there was usually one naked woman in it. Like, every episode. Doing something. Um, remember Dream On? Doesn't matter. Um, it's a terrible show that like was awful. It was like oh my god when I was watching it, I was like this is terrible. Like when can the naked lady come? And then I'll just move on with my life. See, I, I would I would stay up until two wait for David <laughs> Duchovny to introduce a red shoe diary. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> this movie is the I I was kind of on the fence about this movie the whole time I was watching. it. I was like this is disgusting, but also like weirdly watchable because Tom Holland is really good. They're using a lot of MCU money. To kind of make this movie look good, it's shot competently by the same guy that shot the Five Bloods. Yeah, it, it, you know it, looks, I mean? it
2: looks good for forty million. Exactly. Dollars.
1: It's just, it's just kind of, it is what it is. Um, but then when they go to the chapter whatever, and he's like the dope, dope years, dope or fiend, dope or fiend or whatever, and he's like, oh, the good thing about hair or the thing about heroin is that like when you're doing it. You know, your life is falling apart, but you feel great.
2: Is it called The Great Dope Fiend Romance? I mean, that's what's called in the book. I think it's just called Dope Fiend. Or like yeah, The Dope Fiend dope Years. Fiend. I think it's just Dope
1: Fiend, yeah. And he's like, and I was reminded of MTV True Life where they had a, an episode with people that did heroin. And like, they were really, they did a lot of heroin. And not one of those people ever was like, oh, you feel really good when you're doing it. They're just like, I just want to not kill myself so i shoot heroin so i don't fucking die yeah and like and so this movie uh, for a movie that's supposed to be about like apparently the evils of opioid addiction this movie glorifies almost every aspect of opioid addiction yeah, which is interesting cuz like as much as like i read this book 6 months
2: ago i read cherry 6 months ago by Nico walker i i think it's a shit book Go fuck yourself, Nico Walker. If if you're anything like this narrator. He has
1: a million dollars.
2: (laughs) Good for him. Um, But like a lot of of the, like for one thing, most of this movie, most of this book, a third of this book's about the war, which apparently this movie only decided to give like 30 minutes to. Mm -hmm. But at least he dedicates enough time to say like they keep trying to get clean, but they get so sick that they can't. Right. And like all of this just like we're trying to get clean and it's just like two days of throwing up and they're like, fuck it, we can't do it. Like in terms of the actual like aspects of drug use and whatnot, that that if you had done that it would have worked. Right. This felt like a this felt like the Russos or whoever fucking wrote it. It just feels like the Russos wrote it. It's like it. four guys. Yeah. Um, no, it's just two women. Two, uh, two women. Yeah, Jessica Goldberg and Angela. Ruzzo I'm getting my Wikipedia. Um, I have like a,
1: an image of it in my mind.
2: It felt like they had read like William S. Burroughs talking about drugs mm. and then made a movie about that. Because well, I never get the get the feeling that drug use is bad. Well, except and, they don't have a lot
1: of money. But I would also say this is not only. So one of the the main problem with this movie, I guess, ultimately is that like you don't feel that like drug use is bad. But I think one of the other th- like problems of this movie is that like this movie is definitely not about drug use being bad. The movie is about a guy being in love with a girl for a chunk of the movie. Well, the movie to start is about bank robbing banks. The movie says actively that it's about robbing banks, and then it stops being about robbing banks, and is about a college student being in love with another college student. And then it's about going to war, and then it's about PTSD, and then it's about opioid addiction, and then it's about robbing banks! Yeah, and that's, like, it's this movie has no, and they, if you listen to this interview on the big picture, it's so stupid. They're like, oh, we tried to use different camera angles and different styles and all this other stuff to kind of differentiate the periods. The idea of this is that there can't be a differentiation between the periods. He's not seven different people. He's the same fucking guy who keeps messing up his life. Yeah, and that's what,
2: that's what like the one thing I think really works for the book. And when I read this book, as much as I don't think it's good, I can't stress that enough, Nico Walker. Don't try to become an author. Um, it's theatrical in the way, and its character is consistent. And the... In the film, the PTSD you you talk about is like it's that's talked about. It's kind of just like um. It's not really earned ever.
1: He he's sad about Jimenez's death. Well, you just want to see a progression. Yeah, he just he's just at war and then he's home and he's all fucked up and you just kind of want to see. From a character building standpoint, you want to be able to see the trajectory from. Trying to make it work, not because like, you know, he should be a man about it, but just because narratively he's not going to come home and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm fucked up." Well, the thing, the thing I think really works in the book is just like he's
2: so centered and controlled in the book. Mm -hmm. In in, when he's doing, when he's being a medic, like that entire scene where he like loses it over Jimenez's death. For one thing, like Jimenez in the book is just kind of a nothing thing. Mm -hmm. He's just a guy who's like a nice dude. Um, and it's somebody else who's talking about a different character mm-hmm. um who like had that attachment, they kinda of just throw it on to Tom Holland's character to like give him care like to give him depth. Okay. In the book Emily and him don't work together. Like they don't really like each other mm-hmm. <laughs> too much. And he handles the entire like Iraq thing with just this like cold indifference mm-hmm. but it's just all the shit he sees mm-hmm. like when he talks like the, the, the thing that works ex- the, the best in this book is the ied scene um he's just throwing the bodies in the body bag he's talking about looking at the he can't you know just the people um like he, he so blatantly says like the penis and testicles his dick and balls are burned off and it's a tab of flesh there not a centimeter of it it's just kind of like just very rote matter of a fact. Yep. And the thing that works in like the best line in this thing is um, where he says he points to a string of fat running along what's left of the driver's seat uh, the frame of it. I don't know what to do. I skim it off with my fingers roll a ball of it and throw it in the water. The fat of a person that just yeah. burned up. Uh, then I walk down the road, gory as fuck, not making sense. So like it's, it's all matter of a fact to him mm-hmm. all these experiences and it, like that's it leads directly into the next chapter which is like five lines long. He's like I went home on mid-tour leave in May, two weeks, and I got disappointed. Emily was only around for a little while. She said she couldn't hang around too long in Cleveland because she got a job in Washington State somewhere It couldn't wait. Something to do with nature. Whatever it was, she couldn't miss it. There were other girls who would have fucked me, and they were beautiful. I should have fucked them all, but I didn't uh, because I was supposed to be married, even though I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. I went back. And, like, that's what works in this book is just, like, all the death and this, like this the really graphic descriptions of awfulness all around him are just happening mm-hmm. and then like he goes back to Emily and he's like he doesn't really love her but he comes back and then has like when he comes back he's just like oh all that shit I saw was pretty fucked up like it and yeah. i think there's a way you do that i think there's a really there's a there's a, a talented film maker who could have done that
0: well, and made,
2: like, a really solid... Because I think in terms of the war aspects of this book, mm-hmm. like, it's it's been the best descriptions of kind of, like, just the pointlessness of it all since, like, Tim O'Brien mm-hmm. had done. But the Russos just, like, are so... And, the, like, they're, they're they're talented in making scenes. They're talented in making set pieces, but they're so self-conscious about everything. Yeah. That they made a fucking music video.
1: There's an insecurity to this movie that yeah. like is is pretty rough. I think that what you're speaking to is um the movie lacks perspective and it doesn't it has a which is interesting to think about in relation to my number three, which you're gonna talk about in a second. It has an active perspective. Does it have a top five perspective? No, it doesn't have a top five perspective. It has a, a present tense perspective where the book has a, it sounds like has like a past tense perspective, so it it's, can, it's it's kind of like f- it's stream of contrast, but it's kind of like it
2: is told from the perspective of somebody who's kind of like reflecting, but kind of reflecting on their state of mind right. when but
1: they were doing it. The pro- so they're reflecting on the state of their mind when they were doing it, but this movie is taking place all in the moment. So the problem is that you that you have this kind of uh, fourth wall breaking narration um, from for the first third of the movie and then, at the, and, then, and then at the end for a little bit when like, yeah. Ghost starts doing heroin and all this other stuff and you're just like but why are you doing this like what is the who is speaking here is it this 20 year old guy because that's what it seems like it is because it seems like the narrator knows as little about what's about to happen as this guy does and then it's reinforced later in the heroin scenes when he's like oh what's good about doing heroin is this it's like but if you had gotten if this movie was told from the perspective of someone that had gotten out of prison because of stuff they were doing, because of being addicted to heroin, they wouldn't ever say that anything is great about being on heroin. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's just it's it's just weird. Like it's, I don't I don't I don't think they knew. I I get the impression that they didn't know how to make this. Yeah, it's a, so it's they a just real, tried to make it a bunch of different ways, and none of them
2: worked. I don't know if this is the proper. I don't know if I should say it's a schizophrenic film because I don't know if that's an appropriate word. Oh, to I use. don't know. Yeah, um, it's 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 a film. But I know what you mean. It's. it's and you know, if you are listening and are offended by that, tell me the correct word to use. But I, I think that's an okay thing to say. Um in the sense that like I think your four lead performances in this are all excellent to good. Like I think Tom Holland and Kira Bravo are, are exceptional. Yep in spite of it. I like Jack I think Jack Rayner is doing a lot of fun with like the pills and um coke and I think uh was it Force Goodluck is working well with James Lightfoot, but all of it works in opposition, like, fighting against the current that is, like, the Russos, and I think if the Russos had just made the most boring, rote translation of this book, or had just kind of, like, gone with the flow of it, like a thing. It would have been middlingly possible, middling, but <clears throat> also maybe good, because you're performing, like, it's clear they... It's clear the Russos are confident. They they are confident enough in their performance to just be like, just you know what to do. Just do what you're going to do. And I don't think they're directing them necessarily. They're just like whatever they're doing works because yeah. they they know how to build charismatic performances that build off each other really well. Yeah. But it's all this extra layers of shit that don't work. It is this. Attempt to film the war scenes as actual action scenes. Mm-hmm. That like that entire like introduction to Iraq, which is random bombs going off. Mm-hmm. It that it looks like a transformer scene. Just going like that. I don't buy that for a second. Right? No, 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 no. I. It feels like there are people in the California or Nevada desert performing playing war, playing
1: war. Yeah. It never feels. It's funny. So my exemplar for kind of that stuff is. Remember when he starts... Exemplar? Like Stan Lee? Yeah. Um, Remember when he goes to... The bank. And there's... He speaks to the teller. Because he's going to the... He's actively going to the bank to do something. And he speaks to the teller. The the first bank, the one... The one that tells him about the overdraft fee? Yeah, the one that shaded in black. shaded and And then at the end, when he starts robbing when he starts robbing banks, he goes back to the same bank and he speaks to the same teller and she comes out of the shadows? It's trying to do this weird, like, she's not
2: Well, I think it's because it's trying to do this weird thing of, like, oh, when she's shaded in black, she's just an extension of the bank. And then when he's robbing her, she's a
1: person. That's fucking stupid. It is.
2: It's, it's stupid, just like in the fact of, like, Capitalist One. Shitty bank. Um... Fuck like fuck the customer bank or whatever. Yeah. Bank fucks No, I think it's bank fucks America or mm-hmm. whatever. Get our Doctor ever or whatever. Yeah. Get rid
1: of that. Like all this cutesy shit. Get rid of it. Just make a movie. Like just tell yeah. the story. And that's the thing. I don't think Like I had think... this had this movie been
2: told in the most boring way with all, all that shit, without the aspects ratio changing, without the title overlays without the cutesy language without the you know the the, the huge expense and, and clear HDR spent on the war scenes had it just been a little grimy or whatever during the war scenes had it tried to control itself during that you know you could leave the red inner titles or whatever that's fine I think the chapter breaks are cool like cool in the sense of like it,
1: it doesn't ruin it it
2: doesn't ruin anything and it works to the book's benefit like get rid of all that, and you're left with kind of a mediocrely directed film that's then carried by its performances to where it probably could have been considered a, a decent movie
1: yeah, I agree with and I think I agree with you, and I think it's I just think there's so many different ways that they could have done this he they could have done this movie that makes this um, more I don't even want to say believable because I don't always care about that stuff, but they're definitely asking for you to take it seriously palatable i think yeah um. I could take it more seriously. Yeah. I mean, let's just leave it at that. Um, If they had made... Excuse me, way different choices.
2: Damon Wayans Jr. was one of the drill sergeants? Apparently. Jesus. Didn't see that. I don't know. Yeah.
1: It's a... It's... I I, I wouldn't recommend it. It's weird. I wouldn't recommend it either. But... It's long. Yeah. It doesn't um, feel good. It's like... You know, it's not cool, even though it
2: wants to be cool. I'm, I'm going to be honest, though. I started at 11:30 last night, and it's kept my attention all the way through somehow.
1: Yeah, it, I think it did too. I watched it. Um,
2: its most boring scenes are the scenes that, that shouldn't be the most boring off the book. The war, the entire Iraq war scenes are the worst part. of Watching film.
1: Tom Holland and and, um, and um, whatever her name is, Kiara Bravo. Yeah, watching them work together, I think, is great. And then when they're not together, it sucks. And then when the movie tries to do too much, it sucks. And then... When yeah, it, I think
2: Tom Holland interacted with one of those three people. Yeah. When he's interacting with James Lightfoot or Jack Rainier,
1: it's working. I just think the pills... And, like, I don't know what we're meant to... So when Pills and Coke's sister comes in, who has Down syndrome, and she asks about like what they're doing and he like threatens to like shoot her up, and like, I take that scene out. Why are we doing it? But in my mind, I was like, why are we doing this? Like, we under. At this point in the film, before we even meet him, everything is totally fucked up by drugs. We don't need more examples of how yeah, deep absolutely. into drugs he's getting. He's getting accosted in the street by a guy in a car who we never meet, who apparently has, like, a face tattoo of, like, a skeleton mouth or something. Like,. We understand it's th- it's the idea that he's, but that he's deep in. You know what I mean? Yeah. We understand the idea that he's A- deep into w this joke. shit. But he... I don't know. The movie's so insecure, it just needs to be like, yeah, we're hard. This movie's hardcore. Yeah, you want to see how hardcore we are? Is this is definitely something in 10 years I'd love
2: to see redone.
1: I actually i texted you about this. I was like, I actually wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years they really regret making this movie this way. Because, especially because it's not going to have...
2: They any... 100% regret spending a million dollars.
1: Yeah. Um, that didn't sound like it. But I think that just, like, the way that this movie came out and the way that it's being received is all fairly legitimate. And they're going to be like, oh, I wish we had did done different things. Because it's not... I think the biggest problem with this movie, and we, I, we should definitely end this, is that it's not honest. It's definitely not an honest film no. about anything. About war, about narcotics, about... Um, love about anything. It's full... It, the whole movie's full of shit. So, um... Yeah, and they should be ashamed of that, and I'm sure they will be. Yeah. Once they are very far removed from... Once Chloe Zhao wins a second straight Oscar and this one for directing a Marvel movie, they gonna be like, Damn it. We fucked up. We fucked it up. <laughs> uh,
2: we'll be right back with um, my number three. No. bye just and
1: just your number three. Just my number three. And then it's over. Goodbye. That's it. They're actually go out of my way not to mention that. I one. never I never watched it. Welcome back. Uh, we are here talking about my number three film, and now that we are in the number threes, I should admit to you that the my three two and one films at some point were when I was making my list were all my number ones. Um, I really kind of had to weigh certain aspects of it, and it wasn't until I came up with the thing that I'd mentioned before, like my organizing principle, that I kind of determined. Um, and it's like it's it was amorphous for me because the organizing, organizing principle became more clear like the deeper we got into our list. So really, really quickly,
2: when you yeah. said they're all your number one, I remember you said like around our eleven or twelve. You said at one point all the films I would come up were my number one.
1: But when, when I was, you're
2: saying you're three, 3-2-1 during the progress of this. Podcast.
1: At some point in my history of in my career as a human, and in the uh the part of that career that I spent watching films, at one point from I think actually seventeen to one, at some point one that movie held my number one mm. film, like the best movie I'd ever seen, for like a little bit of for like a certain amount of time, but my top three films, um. Are different in the sense that, in a lot of ways, I can think of them as like one A, one B, and one C. Is that they kind of act as a, a sort of triumvirate? It wasn't necessarily clear until I stopped trying to be like a pretentious dick and like was did some real soul searching about these movies, which is like what I've used this podcast to do. Um, and was just like, well, it's this. It's gotta be this because I was I was. I think one of the problems—not one of the problems—one of the things that happens if you spend a lot of time with a thing, like a work of art, or uh, uh, you know, be it a movie or a, a record or a, even a band or something like that, or a director, is that you kind of your appreciation of something um, goes up and down depending on like the new things that they're doing or like where you are in your life or even just kind of um, you start to mistrust them. Like, you're not sure if that person... Like, the person you were when you really got into that thing is the same person that you are now. So I think a lot of that stuff was happening in my number three. But I wrote an essay. And so I changed my six through... Six, five, four, and three. The order changed a little bit. Um, Like four months ago or something, I don't remember what it was. And it was because I wrote, an, I started writing, I wrote an essay about the book that my number three is based off of. And I, it, I had to um, confront, I didn't have to, I just did, confront certain aspects of my autobiography and how like some of my, myself was formed. And I had to write a bunch of really stupid sentences and I even said in my essay like, wow that is like a terrible sentence to write um but it also kind of clarified some of my thinking i would not i would not be sitting here doing this podcast right now without my number three and that's not because my number three is about movies or it's about making lists of stuff even though it's totally about making lists of stuff it's the reason that those lists get made and how those lists are not always what we think they are and how they can change and how they can develop and um how those lists kind of influence aspects of our life and to that end my number three is the super serious super heavy movie actually they'd already know what it is because they listened to the beginning (laughs) They, if they started this podcast from the beginning, they're just like, oh, yeah, it's that. I mean, unless you just don't know the movie. I guess, I, I guess so, which I think a lot of people might not at this point, I mean, depending on who's, uh, who's listening to it. Included. My number three is the 2000, year 2000, because it doesn't have that extra syllable, uh, Stephen Freer's film, uh, which is a weird way to describe it. I, I've always thought of it as just like a John Cusack movie, like that he's... Beginning to end, John Cusick is solely responsible for its existence. Um, uh, it's high fidelity.
0: Rob Gordon has a successful business and a dedicated following.
3: I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable.
0: But when it comes to dating. Hi. Hi. Is this is Penny Hardwood. Hi, Caroline. He's still searching. Are you in or out, Rob? I'm sorry? Are you in or out, Rob? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman. What's your name? Laura! Now, his search may have ended, <laughs> but his problems just started. And I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What? Ian guy! You gotta be kidding me. Touchstone Pictures die. presents... How's Ian? He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something. Right. John Cusack, Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Joan Cusack, Evan Yala, Tim Robbins, Lily Taylor, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Based on the international best-selling novel.
3: Are you gonna line that flower bed all night?
0: no high fidelity i'm looking for a record for my daughter i just called to say i love you do we look like the kind of story that tells i just called to say i love you go to the mall what's your problem do you even know your daughter there's, there's, there's no way she likes, she likes that song <laughs> oh, no, oh. is she in a coma, is she in a coma? <laughs> Woo.
1: love me some my fidelity the story behind high fidelity is um i don't know i, I don't know i hope I don't know if we're gonna get there with you because your list is different than my list so one of the things i don't know if you've done this at all is do you have like a myth about yourself do you self-mythologize what? like do you create like um uh a kind of mythological narrative about your 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 about you uh, if I, according to a conversation I had earlier, yes. <laughs> that was not with me. No, <laughs> not, not with you. Um, so I've... One of the things that I've kind of done is I've kind of... I, I don't think so, personally, though. Okay, but maybe you do. I don't know. Does, maybe, so maybe this will jar something and you'll text me at like 1 o'clock in the morning and be like, self-mythologizing <laughs> right now. I've developed like a, 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 a myth about myself. It's based in 100% fact. But the way that I tell it has been um, synthesized down to like a very um, specific story with highlighting very specific elements of my existence. So in June of 2000, the year 2000, I was graduating from high school. And before that, I had only worked at um, I worked at a Boston market and then I worked at subways, various subways in Milford, Connecticut. And I applied for a job. I lived in Milford, Connecticut, and I went to the Connecticut Post Mall, which is uh, you know, still there. But the store that I worked at, I would subsequently work at, wasn't there. And um, the day that I graduated... This is true. The day that I graduated from high school, I, like the day I was having the graduation, uh, this woman named Jen called me from National Record Mart, NRM Records. It was downstairs at the mall across from a sunglass hut. And she offered me a job, and she wanted to know if I could start um, that day and I was like, well, I can't because I'm graduating tonight or if I could come in and fill out my paperwork that day, I was like, I cannot cause I'm graduating high school tonight, um, but I will come in uh, the next day and, and and you can hire me. And I, did, I applied and I interviewed and all this other stuff. Um, when I tell the story, I say that like I, on the day that I got, On the day that I graduated, I got a job managing a record store because in it eventually I ended up managing that record store. It went through two managers before me, but in a Jen was a temporary manager. She was there from Rhode Island because there was a massive stealing thing that was happening at that location in Milford, where like some guy had like laundered like thousands of dollars and had stolen tons of. CDs and all this other stuff. Oh, so, not like a shoplifting... No, they, like, fired everybody because everybody was in on it. There was just, like, just massive amounts of shit happening at that. So they fired everybody and they hired a new staff. And I was one of the guys that worked there. I was the, the second Tom that worked there. So all the guys that were there called me Johnny. So I am subsequently very used to being called Johnny by, like, a very select select group of people why were you called johnny because there was another tom that worked there earlier than i did why johnny they just picked johnny okay but it's one of those things that like i you know just uh, there's like i said there's like three people that if they call me johnny i'm like yep i'm johnny that's me that's my guy i eventually became the manager of that store and then after nine we closed in october of 2001 one because of um the company was like severely mismanaged in that they didn't they didn't adjust to like the new way that people were listening to music. And they they allowed their their franchises to be <laughs> stolen from by they also entire... allowed perhaps they also allowed their franchises to be run by nineteen year olds. Um but the other reason is because most of us were in malls, and I don't know if you remember this, but after 9-11, there was a big thing in malls across the country where every mall- Not out west. Okay. So every mall on the East Coast thought they were going to be a target. They had some kind of threat at some point, like somebody called in a thing or they heard a thing or whatever. So there was a period where people didn't, weren't going to malls very much. And so like it was just like this dead fallow period. The company was losing money, so they just closed all of our stores. Um, in this period, Mario, I didn't see High Fidelity in theaters uh, because I was just, I was like aware of it, but I—it's a it's, it was a little bit like the Tree of Life scenario that I described, which is that I put it off for a little bit because I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be, it was going to be like a thing. And I'm often scared to like approach things that I... Have built up in my mind, for fear that they're going to let me down. It's weird because I always dive head in. Yeah, I I like just tend to avoid so. Yeah. Um, but in this period, I had seen high f- I, I saw high fidelity and, um, after or before, like the close during it, like so b- before we closed, like during it. Uh, suffice to say. And this might sound weird. I don't know. We can have a conversation about it. I think we were hoping this episode was going to be short, but maybe it's not going to be. Um, I High fidelity became the... We got an hour and 45 minutes. Definition. Wait. Right. And that's the only thing that matters. Um, <laughs> high fidelity became... Or I should say, I started to define my... High fidelity clarified my nature in a lot of ways. In some ways, it was really simple in that like... Um. I started growing my hair long. And I started where I wore like purposefully bad sweaters, Cosby sweaters. And at the record store, we jammed a couch into the back room. So we had like, and we bought a coffee maker. So that like it could feel like, because we couldn't smoke in there. But we could drink. Were you a smoker? No, 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 no. But, like, I think I probably would have if we could have smoked. Because literally when I was managing the record store, and I managed the record store for, like, nine months before it closed, um, I worked, like, 70 hours a week. I just was there. I still live with my parents and stuff like that. So the, the only thing I did was go to this record store and then just, like, hang out with a couple of guys afterwards. But mostly I was just at the record store. And I was, like, I had a girlfriend when I started working there, and then we broke up. And then the girls that I was interested in post- that breakup were just girls that came into the record store. Like the record store was the, was the, um, the focal point of my existence. I mean, it was the center of my whole universe was working in this record store and high fidelity was just, it said to me, well, yeah, well, that's, this is, this is the best way to live. Like you work at a record store. That's it. So, like, when I got the job at the record store, I was still going part-time uh, at Southern, and I just stopped going to classes. I just would work, it, or I would just not do anything, and I would just go... I went to the movies a lot. Like, I found a movie theater that was open really early, and so I, instead of driving from Milford to New Haven, I would drive... I what fucking town it was in. I've always tried to remember this. I would just drive to that movie theater and go to, like, a 10 o'clock movie or something, and then I'd come home at, like, 1... If I had to come home or I would just go to work. You know what I mean? That was just kind of just what I did. Um, but there was all these little things inside of it that I was just like, well, this is it. So, like, I mean, you just saw this movie. So I'm assuming you could probably guess which book that I read in, like, 2000, 2001. Maybe you weren't paying that close attention. of Lightness of Being? No, I – yeah. well, so I read all of those books. But the book that, like, I read first was – what Rob says is the best book he ever read was uh, Cash's Autobiography, Cash by Johnny Cash. Oh, okay. oh yeah. You, you mentioned that before. I, I mean, it, it was like one of those things where like I saw it, and I was like, mm-hmm. And I went and bought it, and then I read it, and I was like, okay. I did it. I read it. I listened to a lot of the beta band. I bought a box set of The Stiff Little Fingers. I also, like, was shitty to people that, like, had not heard. Like, I went, I remember going, we did not have Blonde on Blonde at the record store for some reason. We actually didn't have a lot of Bob Dylan in my record store. I went to the FYE. I walked down the hallway at the mall. I went to the FYE, and they had a Blonde on Blonde, and I bought Blonde on Blonde, and I was like, okay, got it. I have Blonde on Blonde, too. I'm, like, just like these people. On top of this, I had read, I read the book. The novel and the movie are, like, they work perfectly together. Like the movie, Nick Hornby, like a dick, has said like he was surprised how much watching the movie just felt like John Cusack reading uh, his novel, which is fucking horse shit. Um, Nick Hornby always came off like a he dick. Sa- he sounds like an asshole too, even though I really like Nick Hornby. And I kind of, I, who did I mention this to? Did I mention this to you about Rosamund Pike? Somebody about Rosamund Pike. And that she was in this Sundance, Sundance channel or IFC channel show with um, Chris O'Dowd that Nick Hornby wrote. It's called State of the Union. It's 10, 10-minute 10 episodes. And it's like a married couple before they go into therapy. Before they go to marriage counseling, they go to this bar first. They meet at this bar before they walk across the street to their, their counselor's counselor. So each, each 10 minutes is like a different session. It's a different session. Yeah. And it's fucking great. It's amazing. It's now why I have kind of like a soft spot for Rosamund Pike. It was the person I thought kind of stole... Andra Day's Oscar nomination. When you had texted me like, "No Andre Day," and I was like, "I just assumed Rosamund Pike for I Care a Lot." Oh, and then, had taken and, that, and then I forgot that right, Andre right. Day was lead, and I was kind of bummed because I like—I I don't like Gone Girl. I think Gone Girl sucks, but I liked Radioactive, and I think Rosamund Pike is great. I have a soft spot for Rosamund Pike too.
2: Sure, sure, for different reasons. Um,
1: and then, as like, t- on top of that and I've talked about this in the on the podcast a lot, of all those little things. I think one of the big things is that, like, it seemed okay to me at the time for music to be the central kind of, like, activity in my life. So I didn't start playing guitar until after I got fired from, after the record store closed. That's when I bought a guitar and, like, started playing. I played drums before that, but, like, I just kind of we just jammed. How big were movies in your life at this point? Movies were a part of it. So this is so two thousand. So like so this is pre. So this is like credit around, card. This is pre. Well, it's, no, it's like right around credit card. Time. Okay. Um. Because credit card happened with this, and then me and my friend bought a PA system at Sam Ash with a Sam Ash credit card that we got, and then maxed out to buy our PA system. Good. Um. Movies were part of it, but it was so. This is around the Almost Famous time. This is American Beauty time. This is Being John Malkovich time. You know, what I mean, these were bef- those movies were before it. Almost Famous as this year, but American Beauty and Being John Malkovich and a couple of other 19- and Fight Club was a big one. I was, I think, High Fidelity was. High Fidelity is so key to me because I was primed. Those movies primed me and had me thinking about. Myself in a way that I had never thought about it. And that I needed to, maybe not needed to, but I wanted to define myself. I wanted to figure out who I was and what I was going to do and like my, the nature of myself. And when I said that lists earlier, we're going we're to come into this. One of the things that I carry around, um, or I carried around until I got a new wallet and now there's no room for it in my wallet. I fucking hate my wallet and I need to get a new one so I can put my list back in it. But I had a very overfolded piece of notebook paper that I had written, like, my 15 favorite everythings on that I carried around with me until, like, four years ago when I, my wallet exploded and I had to get this new wallet. And I still have it. It's in a drawer. And High Fidelity kind of showed... Like, lists were very important to me in the sense that, like, High Fidelity was suggested that, like, you make a list... And this only came through thinking about it you make a list and it's not because you want to prove how cool you are you're not jack black i didn't identify with jack black's character i didn't identify with todd luiso's character barry and um and dick we haven't talked about any of that stuff i identified with rob and not rob at the beginning of the movie who tried to define himself by like the order in which he put his um records which i the autobiographical also did like i did i like reordered my records like a million times i used to have so many fucking records and books and everything it wasn't just that um it was that by having these lists by defining yourselves by these ways you had a a better idea of who you were as a person they in some way spoke for you by saying like who like Does that mean by mythology? No, no, this is just kind of. I guess so. It's kind of part of that. But like someone could say, like, well, who is Tom Nolan? And I could say, Tom Nolan is Miles Davis's Jack Johnson and spiritualize, let it come down and or Ladies and Gentlemen, We Were Floating in Space, and The Clash of Sandinista, and The Tragically Hips, Phantom Power, and Stone Temple Pilots, Tiny Music. And I could say, it like, some month or some day of some year, like, this is the best synthesis of who I am as a person. And one of the things that I've kind of harbored for, like, a long fucking time, and this is we're going to cover this in the next two things of well, two uh, entries in this list as well, is that I had, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I I had developed this theory at one point, and I wrote about it, and I thought about it, and I talked about it with everybody that I met, and it was just like a big deal to me, is that I developed this theory where, I'm like, there was an inner self, and the inner self was a bookshelf shaped like me, and on this bookshelf was all the various things that I really loved, or that... I attached myself to her that I found aspects of myself in. And if you put all of those things on the bookshelf, you would have the best understanding of who I was. Very dream catcher of you. Uh, Yeah. No. (laughs) With the the files and shit like that. No, because it wasn't about stray thoughts and it wasn't about, like, stray memories. It was about, like, very specific things. And and. High Fidelity defined that way of thinking. High Fidelity made that like way of thinking okay for me. But the beauty of High Fidelity as it goes on, and one of the things I'll talk about a little bit and then I'll turn it over to you, is that the way that like it kind of... It became another thing in that it wasn't just about defining yourself by the lists. It became when those lists kind of started to break away. When Rob is at... Um, the funeral of Laura's dad. And right before that Barry and Dick are talking about like, you know, top five songs about death. And then Rob kind of you know, he slaps Barry around in that, you know, that great scene when he's Yeah <laughs> it's wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, and then he turns around to the camera in the in just like the only movie I feel like where the, the constant fourth wall breaking like really works. And I think that's where like Stephen Freer's directing this um is a benefit because he's like a real filmmaker so he wasn't just content to have someone sitting in front of a camera being like let me tell you some things about myself it's like going out going on through the day it's like an active it's an active story with also a past tense story contained in it he turns around to the camera in the middle of things and he says he wants to have three songs played at his funeral and he's always imagined like you know uh, many rivers to cross and like an Aretha Franklin song and he also, he's always imagined some like very tearful woman singing this song like who would that woman be? Laura and he kind of shrugs his shoulders and he doesn't know and that's the moment where the lists kind of don't matter anymore and we get the definite, we get the idea that the ways that he's been defining himself and this, which is really expertly done at the end of the movie when, uh, um, what's her name, Natasha Gregson Wagner's Carolyn comes in and he's like, oh, I'll make you a tape. Which is essentially, uh, making a tape is another way of saying, I'll make you a list. I'll make you a list of, like, the 20 songs that, like, define how I feel about you. Which is the way that tapes are are function in this world. Which is the way that tapes function in my world. Which is, hopefully, the way that mixtapes function all over the world. Absolutely, I think. Right, and I should hope so. I mean,
2: I I don't make mixtapes, but, like, from my understanding, that's how it works. good.
1: Um... And then at the end of it he's like oh I can you know he's like I can I'm making a new tape and it's about things that Laura would like and like that he can finally see how that's done and it's because he's abandoned the idea of lists being reflective of a personal not personal feelings or of a of of the self but reflective of the self through the lens of another person there is Embedded in High Fidelity within the very, like, late 1990s to early 2000s romantic comedy, which often starred John Cusack. Serendipity, Must Love Dogs, America's Sweetheart. Identity. Identity is a romantic comedy between John Cusack <laughs> and John C. McKinley. And John Hawkes. One of the great romantic comedies. I love Identity. Identity has one of the great casts of all time. Um is embedded in this idea, this... Uh, I got some... Uh, what was that? Amanda... God, I loved her at the time. Pete? Pete, Amanda Pete. Yeah, Amanda Pete was in that. Whole Nine Yards era, Amanda Pete. Alfred Bellino, too. Oh, yeah. Identity is really good. We should do, like... Maybe the first episode we do post-ending. like ending. <laughs> Identity. Identity and Schindler's List. Identity, Schindler's List, and um, High Tension. Mm. There are lots of movies I'm going to... do um, There's a growth subtly contained within this romantic comedy. Like a real legitimate human growth. And the way that I kind of judge these next three movies is that like, I have grown with them. They fucked me up when I saw them, but I took them with me and they never lost their power. My relationship that, my relationship to them changed, but I was always able to... Because I see myself embedded so like thoroughly and completely in them, when I say that like I saw them differently, it wasn't that like, well, now that I have kids, I'm focusing on how John Cusack or how Rob doesn't want to have kids or yeah, like yeah. something like that. It's about how like certain aspects of it show instead of instead of showing what I assumed was one thing show like a much deeper, richer thing. Um again, and i'll I'll end here, and then I'll throw it to you. I would not have made this I could not have been i would not have be the person I was today without high fidelity, and that might sound sad to some people, but I just really want people to not feel... right, but i think it's I think it's relative to anything else, like how like you know if you really love sports, you say to yourself like oh, I really you know. You know, my life changed when so and so won, such and such team won whatever title or whatever. Or um, when Curtis Curtis Granderson left the Oakland yeah. Athletics. <laughs> That's it. That's like the defining moment. Or like if you if you're really career oriented, you're like, oh, my life changed when I got that job. Or like if you're really like, academically oriented, like oh, I got some grade or I met some teacher or whatever. I don't. I have had all of those experiences also. But all of them have been defined in some way by, like, seeing and internalizing and connecting so deeply with high fidelity. But I'm—I mean, I thought you had seen it, and you were just kind of like, "It's a John Cusack movie." Good. No, I've never seen it. That's all. Which is fascinating. So explain it to me, because when I most watch it, this yeah, when I most watch it, this most recent time, uh, it was the. The most romantic comedy it's ever seemed to me. And I think it's because I was trying to interpret how you were going to watch it. Much as accurate. Yeah! Okay.
2: Oh, yeah. Today was my first day ever seeing this movie. Um, On purpose? Or just it was just, like, a thing you didn't care about? or Just something that I'd kind of, like, floated through the ether. Mm-hmm. Like, I had never necessarily thought it was an important movie to see. I kind of held it in the same regard as, like, an about-a-boy sort of mm-hmm. movie. Um, I known that it was pretty well-loved in the circles of people.
1: It's one of you those, know, mov- like, circles movies. Yeah,
2: but it just... It, I felt it was more of a music movie. Having not been a music guy until literally six months ago, um, and still, like, not a music guy in the music way, like, I like fucking... Pop songs mm-hmm. because I just like overproduce shit. So like <laughs> even in my music thing, like I just like I like music in a weird way. Mm-hmm. I just never focused on it. Yeah, um, yeah, and and seeing it today, uh, it, I, I re- definitely respond to the romantic comedy aspect of
1: it. Uh, not romantic comedy, just the romance part of it. Um, Which is funny because I never focused. I like always left out the romance part of it. The romance part of it helped define other aspects of it, but I was just kind of like... Well, you could look at my number one movie and realize that right? Yeah, yeah I they think.
2: And, and I guess that's, that's interesting. I think your, at least so far, your number three is probably going to relate the most to my number one in the end. Um, because my number one exists because of the fact that I was so centralized for a while on being like, this is what i want this is who i am this is like how i feel about life this mm-hmm. is this is what i expect in terms of like love and whatnot um and i had to show it to people i deeply cared about and those people were like i don't get it and it made me realize like oh it's a my thing
3: mm-hmm. it's
2: a me thing it's for me um and i could give it to others to show, like, this is what I am. And, th- and that's why I respond to most of this film is just, like, Rob having that realization of, like, when he makes the mixtape, he's always making it of himself. Mm-hmm. And I guess I guess that's what I get with the mythology aspect of of I've, I've always created lists, like top fives, not, never autobiographical, obviously always ranked because <laughs> you got to rank everything. I've never created it to be like, I know more about everything. No, and I don't but think Rob always, does either. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, like Barry, and I, that's why Barry exists, because he's there right. to say that. But it's always been like, I don't know necessarily how to express what I am or how I'm feeling. Here are these things that better express it. And yeah. it's it's great with the mixtape thing, which I've... I attempted to make mixtapes in the past, like in high school, and it never worked just because cause I didn't get music. Um, but I would try to write. I would try to write stories mm. for, for women. I guess they'd be girls at the time. I was interested in. You know, I would read John. Was it John Steinbeck's *The Pearl*? Is it John Steinbeck? Yeah, *The Pearl*. Um, the Pearl, and then stay up until four thirty, drinking Miller, and uh, Keystone Light. And trying to write something similar to that too. The Pearl fan fiction? No, I'm just trying to write something <laughs> in that sort of like... Ultimately stream of consciousness, um, true to self sort of thing. Yeah. Feeling as though like I read a piece of a person mm. and then I would try to do that yeah. with how I was feeling. Yeah, and yeah. then it would always just be like, oh, this is nice or okay. And I'd be like, oh, right. Like it means something to me, but doesn't mean anything to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I guess it wasn't until this year and like my number one that I kind of like understood like, Oh, right. It is good to have something that you can show somebody and be like, this means something to me and I'm presenting it to you. And that's what it means to me. But like, I, it doesn't necessarily matter if it means anything to you. I'm just laying it out there. Um, and so, watching this today, especially today, today was weird. Um, it was interesting. It's, 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 it,
1: it, it's, it's. I like it. Um, well, you're not obligated to like no. be obsessed with it.
2: Mm. Clearly, um, but it is. It definitely speaks to me on the level of like where I get it. Like get like where it spoke to you. I get where it hit all those marks because in similar ways mean you have those mean you have that same sort of like hesitancy to just let our words speak for themselves but I don't know if that's fair to well say.
1: just i i mean I don't know i mean I don't know if I have a hesitancy to let my words speak for my for let my words speak for me, but I definitely there was a period of time where I was and I'm still here, but i'm i i maybe I'm like. Hedging away from it a little bit, and that's where, like, I'm now perceiving like legitimate emotional growth in this movie rather than just kind of like some of the other, um, like easier definitional things. Is that I there was a period when you're a teenager when you are you almost feel obligated to define yourself, and because of the way that my life was already tracking this movie kind of gave me the permission to define myself by those things. So I I was already a music person. I was already making tapes. I was already, like, trying to express things to people through lyrics and, like, through, you know, music and blah, 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 blah. But I think before I saw this and before I got the job at the record store, I was just like, well, those are, those, I never thought of those things as, like, that's who I am. But after this, I was like, well, yeah, I'm, this is who I
2: am. I guess I guess what I'm more saying is you and I are both massive consumers of various types of media. Um, sure, 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 sure. And we have an eminent respect for people we feel have kind of mastered the voice. It and yep. I I guess we I both consider us like librarians or archivists. Curators. In Curators, yeah. And so it's not necessarily an insecurity we have any e- like in ourselves, but it's more just like this is how I feel, and this right here best describes it. I think so. Like I, I don't know if that's like. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're, like, I think
1: you're I think you're right, and I think the the difference between me now and me at eighteen or me at twenty eight is that, um, I would just say to somebody. Like, I don't think I would have this conversation necessarily at 18 or 28. Maybe because I couldn't because I hadn't lived enough, but I would have it now because I think through living and through, consider, through considering myself, which this movie kind of gave me permission to do or like tasked me with doing, I'm better able to, to think about myself and define myself and, and more comfortable like speaking about myself. But it only comes through, like, years of constant, oppressive, crushing thinking about, like, myself and who I am and what am I doing. and. But I think it's interesting, and maybe not everybody's like this. I suppose everybody's like this, but maybe the things are different. For me, it's stuff. It's music and it's movies and it's paintings I've seen at various times and it's... Yeah, for me, it's... Like, all this other stuff. It's film.
2: It's, um board games, to a weird extent. It's novels, and it's video games.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I I think we're coming at this from, like, the same position. Um, And politics, weirdly enough. But
2: politics also have this weird sort of definition of who I am.
1: Right, but politics makes me hate America. Well, political
0: history.
2: Right,
1: okay, so that's a different thing, yeah. Like... (laughs) No, 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 exactly, like, political history,
2: like, historic, like, things not in the modern political stream, but, like, in a political sort of history. But I think think the way we both work, you know, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is just, like, we both have a strong consideration of who we are and what we are, but we're always not necessarily sure, at least in the past, of how to say that, and we've always had a confidence in... Our knowledge of how other people to say that those things and yep. I, I think this is like a perfect example of that because yeah. like rob doesn't isn't never trying to show off he's just unhappy because he is insecure in himself and not hasn't figured himself out, but has all this knowledge of things around him that can say the things he wants.
1: Well, then he gets that like so it's interesting because the top five women top five breakups are really in a lot of ways exactly like his top five side one track ones. So it's a bunch of very obvious ones. And then his top five his number five that he lists, um, side one track ones is Massive Attacks and uh Radiation Ruling the Nation. Um
2: which so, is exactly like Which I always always I have a problem with because Massive Attack is a great band. I love Massive Attack, yeah. But it's the Paradise way that, Circus is like
1: the way that he's one described, the way that that scene is described, is that like, oh, you have four obvious ones, and then you have this this other one. And I don't know if like Stephen Frears or like the six guys that wrote this movie or Nick Hornby even kind of like anticipated this. Oh, that's that's intentional. No, Steve... no, but not even that. But the way that that list, like, a Steve Pink is a co writer on this. Right, right, he's knows what he's doing. So, but the, I didn't even finish what I was gonna say. So, Sorry. probably it will continue. No, no, no but not as a Christian. Which is probably it'll it'll link up to it. The top five breakups is four obvious ones and then a bullshit one until he's is like, "Oh yeah, Laura, you're the real, like you're the real deal." You know what I mean? Which, which it is is what, shows like this inherent. The lists are almost like a map In a lot of a ways, wall. the list girl exactly. Walls. And he thinks he's defined himself perfectly by these lists. But there's just these cracks that kind of show. And I think it's more obvious in the book than it is in the movie because the movie's out to entertain where the book is a, is, is a novel and can be as long as it wants and all this other shit. Um, that shit's, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's. The more I watch it, that stuff becomes more clear and has more weight to it. There's discrepancies between the list version of Rob and the real version.
2: I thought you were going. I thought you were saying the perfect place to go from the wall.
1: Oh, I'm kind of done.
2: Um, no, yeah, I, I, I agree, and I, I, I think that's kind of like the magic of this is what I love about this is I remember starting this movie. And I, I, I don't know if this is intentional, but Stephen Freer's focus focuses so much for like Rob's calling all of his ex girlfriends bitches. Mm. I kind of love that, like in retrospect, because he's so. Fucking gross in the beginning, and then when he finally like when um was it Joan Cusack? His sister—that's his sister, right? It's playing most, his friend, like his friend. But it's it's I just watched. And I was like, that's his sister. It's
1: um, it's uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Liz. Liz's friend, and subsequently his. Or Laura, Laura, Laura's friend. Laura's friend. Liz is Joan yeah, Cusack. Yeah, yeah. But
2: the thing I love about that is just like we're. When she co- confronts him, and he's reflecting all that, and mm-hmm. like Frears, who's just like a talented filmmaker because he just has this like dichotomy are like, not dichotomies because it suggests two, but has this like plethora of films beneath his. He's got two yeah. best director nominations, but under even his belt. yeah, but like two best director nominations for like pretty similar films. But he's known to be a director who can like direct. Yeah, he's a good director. He's he a direct, good legitimate like director. Yeah. He's like a—I w- I don't want to say journeyman it's just you know, because it suggests no. Because like, he's better, he's, but he's, he's a little better than that. He could just go yeah, anywhere. Yeah. He just go yeah, anywhere. Yeah. He's he's a renaissance director. Yeah, yeah, good one, good one. Um, when you know she confronts him, and that film has that turn then from going like, oh, you know, Rob's been kind of a piece of shit, and like we've had this kind of skewed narrator to this point, point. Mm-hmm. and then from there. It becomes a vulnerability film, and yep. the second mm. the film becomes vulnerable, I'm
1: fucking tuned in. Yeah, 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 and, which is great because I. Don't. But it's also super impressive for
2: like a two thousand movie. It's, and I think the great thing about this, it's, it's nice to have like a, a man
1: who's not like vo- who's vulnerable, but not like. And it's also nothing. I mean, this movie in a lot of ways is nothing. This movie, in a lot of ways, adheres to a lot of the rules that a lot of the same era romantic comedies were adhering to at the time. I love the fact, watching this back, that, like, this has John Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones in it, when a year later they would do America's Sweethearts. This is oh a movie God. I've seen. Was that 2000? That's not 2001. It's 2000, but it, the VHS came out in 2000. Is
2: America's Sweethearts that early? I yeah. thought it was,
1: like, 2005. So when, after, right after I left the record store, I started working in a video store, and America's Sweethearts was one of the... Uh, sweethearts. Oh, these, these, I, these, I wasn't gonna say anything. This is breaking the rules. This is what breaking the rules gets us. America, Sweethearts is one of the movies that we could watch in the video store because it was of the correct rating and popular enough it's, that the, the guy so, would let us have it on. So inoffensive. I don't mind that movie. Either. No, I think it's great. But I think it's, I think that is, that's the stereotype, and High Fidelity in a lot of ways breaks the stereotype because it's not faux vulnerability. He literally sits down across from Laura. And has a conversation with her saying, like, I'm this kind of guy. I've been living my life under these pretenses, which includes having fantasies about all sorts of different women. And not saying that, like, he didn't enjoy those fantasies and not saying that those fantasies don't have value. But he's just like, those fantasies don't have the same substance that living with with you has and living with you We're has all these aware, right. watched a thousand times and, but that's the great thing that like they picked a metaphor to stand in for like living with you has being with you has all these problems but those problems add value to my life whereas these fantasies add nothing and like it's a vulnerability it turns into a vulnerability movie but it turns in it turns into a life movie it stops being a romantic comedy and stops being a movie about like loving music and starts being a movie about being a person yeah and, no, I, I think that's amazing.
2: I will do the pushback from a critical standpoint. God, I wish the performer, the the
1: actress playing Laura was better. But Which is hilarious because everybody loved her at the time. She's awful. I think she's...
2: She's so flat. So that s- entire scene, um, which is played partially in the trailer, that... Great two thousands trailer. Yeah, where it's like, are you going to stay in that flower bed forever? Mm -hmm. Like that entire back and forth. Like the way she's radiating in that scene does not at all feel like a person who just lost
1: their father. Mm I'm going to be honest with you. She's uh, she. It's played like a person who does not have a really firm grasp of English, and learned her lines in English and didn't have a lot more. Is that is that what that? Yeah, she's a Swedish. She's or Dutch that Stephen Frears saw I don't think in a movie. I don't think she's a, a poor I, actress. I don't think I she's think. a poor actress either, but I think she just is un, a little bit uncomfortable. So he saw her in a movie. I think this is in the Wikipedia. He saw her in another film was like, oh, I want her to be in my movie. And so she just was in her his movie. And she was just in it. This is similar as like a Joey Lorne Adams would have been
2: a little better.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's... A, I can
2: pick a name off the top of my head. That's
1: interesting is because I think a lot of this movie is very... Um, Because it doesn't require a lot, but it requires something. There's clearly people in this movie that just wanted to be in the movie. So Sarah Gilbert probably didn't have to be in this movie, but she auditioned for something and she just got the role of Dick's girlfriend. And I think it works. works. Their awkwardness works together. And I think not only does their awkwardness work together, but I remember seeing this movie the first time being like, oh, the girl from Rosanna's in this movie. Like, at every turn, there's somebody vaguely famous playing some role. You get your great Tim Robbins cameo. You get, you get I mean, Lily Lisa, Taylor is Lily coming T- off of the haunting, which I don't think was huge. No, but, but she and John Cusack are buddies, like oh. from like old Say Anything days and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So she's just doing the Chicago movie with her Chicago friend, like playing this character. She's great. Yeah, she's another like that's, and that's why I love this movie is so hermetic in a lot of ways. It's just like. Jack Black is the perfect guy to play Barry. And Jack Black has been versions of Barry for like five years before he gets Barry. And then he explodes onto the national well, scene. Well this this makes him, right? Like this well, is so, his big thing. Because I remember
2: he, so he had um he had the Jackal get, right before,
1: but, but he did, before this. The enemy he did, of the state is Right, but he did Cable Guy. He was the best friend in cable guy. Yeah. He was he had done Tenacious D for three years. Or he had done three seasons of Tenacious D on HBO. I think Enemy of the State starts blowing him up. But this explodes him. Where yeah. everyone's just like, well, but Jack people Black remember now him from the- Enemy of the State. Right. But he weirdly this is, and then This is yeah. the most Jack Black-ish Jack Black performance. And he's fucking amazing. I mean, it's almost like one of those things where like, I don't know how you were when you like started like really paying attention to the Oscars but when you saw a movie that you loved and you kind of, kind of...
2: Remember, your, I started paying for your, attention to the Oscars in 1992.
1: Right, but, like, so when you saw a movie in 1992 and you saw a film and you were just... Before the Oscars came out, 99. before the nominations came out, and you were just, like, it, like, did something to your core and you are like, well, clearly that's going to get nominated. Like, and you kind of had a vague understanding of what the Oscars are. It's like, it rewards the best films. You're like, mm. well, clearly this is going to win all the Oscars. I assumed like High Fidelity was going to get nominated for everything. I remember having conversations with people that didn't care about the Oscars about how High Fidelity was going to win all the Oscars. And then it didn't get nominated for anything. It didn't get a Best Adapted Screenplay. It didn't get a Best Actor. It didn't get a Best Supporting Actor. It didn't get anything.
2: You know, I've, I've never been... I, that never happened to me. Oh, never. really? I felt I've felt that way a bunch of times. I've always felt the Oscars were, like, stuffy. and so, But they didn't actually... I've always had this mindset from a young age that the Oscars were stuffy
1: and that they didn't understand what people wanted. See, and it's weird because we came into the Oscars at different points because my first, the first Oscars I remember was 1994. And yeah, I my had, first
2: Oscars I remember are 92. The 92 Oscars
1: for 91, which...
2: Right, and I hadn't seen Shawshank. 90, well, 94 meaning the 95 right, so Oscars for 94 films. Right, so
1: I hadn't seen Shawshank, I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction, but I had seen Forrest Gump. So when Forrest Gump won everything, I was I guess, just like, "Sure." I guess my
2: no. I guess my answer to that same is, thing with Titanic. I guess my answer to that is uh, quiz show because I fucking love quiz I show. I remember you having this conversation. Yeah, we were talking I, about quiz show. I don't. I was like, "Just like how's quiz show not running away with all this?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now that I've watched all those movies back, I'm just like, "How's quiz show not taking a couple <laughs> Oscars?" <laughs> quiz Show's great. Quiz and show quiz is, is great. Yeah, forgotten. It's better than Four Weddings and a Funeral.
1: It's way better than Four Weddings and a Funeral.
2: Hmm. No, but this is. I'm going to be honest. It's a surprisingly it's, modern
1: movie, though. It's a weird. It's a really weird movie. It doesn't feel. It's not that surprisingly modern because Stephen Fur is so. But it also doesn't feel. It feels kind of outside of its time. Mm-hmm.
3: Because yeah, absolutely. these
1: movies didn't have. These types of. This movie was made as a romantic comedy. It didn't ha- It's not supposed to have Do we this think it depth. Is? Yeah, because even something like Gross Point Blank is interesting which almost made, which was almost was on my list for a little bit um gross point blank might have been like my in my 110 to one hundred 30 million dollar movie how to make that record store look like the best record okay, store ever in the history right. of the universe um yeah because i think after post gross point blank it was um wait what was the question i was making a point about gross point blank romantic comedies Oh, oh, and and how modern it feels! Yeah, I think post gross point blank still um, gross. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, fucking nine point beers. Gross point blank still adhered to a lot of the rules um, associated with not just romantic comedies but like '90s films. It was edgy and it was cool in a lot of ways that most '90s films weren't cool. Like the soundtrack was a little off. It was very specific of to a certain genre and and style and type of person that listened to like. The Madness and Fishbone and all these other kind of um, bands. The Specials. Oh, this, um,
2: I, really quickly, I bet you a lot of this money went to the soundtrack. Sure. The oh, soundtrack.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also probably to, like, Lisa Bonet. And to, like, because Lisa Bonet was really famous in the year 2000. I think she would have done this for... She probably would have, but she probably didn't. I'm not saying she made ten million dollars but did she make like a million dollars? She probably made a million dollars. She had to say fuck and make out with John Cusack hard and put a shirt on. But I think that like somebody like um, Catherine Zeta-Jones probably did it for nothing. Because and nothing I mean a million dollars. Well she doesn't (laughs) Because they were in America's Sweetheart together, she wasn't much of anything at this point. She had just done Mask of Zorro, right? But she had no shirt on. She got to see their side boob and stuff like that. That cost money, even at that era. And she would just do America's Sweetheart right oh, after this. Oh yeah, though no, she was she was big at this point. Yeah, I she, forgot. To trap in the was She was a person, and she was on her. You know, she was on her way to being when she won her Oscar, and you know, for Chicago, people were like, "Well, yeah, Catherine Zeta Jones got to win an Oscar." Do you remember that Oscars when everyone's like Catherine Zeta-Jones has to win an Oscar? I do. <laughs> that was that was another season where there was no question about who's winning this best supporting actress. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it, I think it is. I think oh, I think up to this point, you made a movie and it, it did something very specific, and I think in a lot of ways this movie did. The specific thing it was supposed to, but I think the Stephen Frears of it all, the the probably attachment that John Cusack and his screenwriting partners had to the Nick Hornby, the source material as it were, um, made this movie something a little different. It's it's got a different edge to it than some of the other romantic comedies that would come out of that that era. And I just saw all of those. Like I, it's funny. I we could turn this into a John Cusack podcast if you want. I fucking loved John Cusack when this movie came out. And right, and after it, I saw everything. That like, Were you like a better off dead guy. I was a say. I or? mean, it was. I was unfortunately just like a say anything guy. No, I've still never seen say anything. You never saw say. Add that to the list: Schindler's List and Say Anything. Oh good. And Identity. That Cameron Crowe guy. It's so. It's very Cameron Crowe. Yeah, but like better off dead. It's. It's got a good I love John Mahoney ref, uh, performance in it though. You like John Mahoney? Do you like him? He's the dad. That's it. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I just, I've always seen like the all the scenes from saying anything. I'm like, I will not like this. It's very slow in Cameron Crowe. It's weird how Cameron Crowe has like this. I just s- I saw it. I was like, this is very Cameron. It's Crow-y. so signature. Like he has this signature, but it's just it's like for a certain type of person, it was like unavoidable. You also went hunting for, like, a trench coat that you didn't look like an idiot in. And then you decided, like, oh, yeah, you look like an idiot. See, in I
2: prefer the coats. trajectory of of John Cusack from Better Off Dead to, like, Gross Point Blank to Identity to hot tub Time Machine. But here's like, the that thing. That's, that's my John Cusack... So, for me...
1: Progress. Say Anything came way late. So, I would say that my Say Anything, and we can get out of here soon, is... Um, singles cameron crowe's singles which is another cameron crowe movie but it's like the one that takes place in seattle that has matt Dillon and kira sedgwick and half of pearl jam and um uh campbell scott in it and it's you know just about people be going being in bridget fonda people being in relationships but in seattle during the grunge rock thing and that to me was more representative of what I assumed my teenage years were going to be like, then, like, say anything. I was never holding up a boombox in front of somebody's window, but I was definitely gonna jam outside next to somebody's van, like Chris Cornell, listening to <laughs> listening to his own band. When Matt Dillon installs a stereo for Kyra Sedgwick, to, or to for Bridget Fonda, just to be like a good guy. That's totally what happens. I've never seen that movie at all. Singles is pretty good. Singles is what fun. What year is that? 92. Oh. Great soundtrack. One of the great soundtracks ever in the history of film. I was five or six years old. Yeah. I love singles. I remember we were talking about singles in my high school when me and my buddy were making a... Uh, we had carte blanche in our art class one year to do whatever we wanted. So do you, were you a comic books guy? So we did two... I was th- not a comic book We fan. did two things that year. There was a comic book called Witchblade where the Witchblade was like this gauntlet. It was a TV show after it was a comic book. The Witchblade was a gauntlet that like looked a lot like the Infinity Gauntlet, but it was like gray. And we made a papier-mâché Witchblade, and then we made a full-size papier-mâché R2-D2. And that's all we did all year. And then we talked about singles and how great all those alt-rock 90s bands were. Yeah, see, in the 90s... Or not
2: the 90s. In my... But that's, this saw... was in the 90s. For us. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, music meant nothing to me in that time. Did and paper mache mean something to you? <laughs> not really. If paper mache means something to you, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal,
1: or you can go to Pivotal Film Podcast, or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail dot com, uh, or you can go to pivotalfilm dot com. And I promise I will update the podcast tomorrow, um, or the website tomorrow. No, it doesn't matter. But we just got to get it done. You know, people have expectations. There's five movies left. So at some point, somebody's gonna. All these movies are different. That's fun. All. I'm gonna be very honest with you. After this week, our list makes no sense. Well, my list makes no sense at all. No, but our top, like the four movies we're gonna talk about in our top fours, have nothing to do with each other. I think our I think our number threes are good are a good pair. Well, oh, my number three is is nothing compared to your number three. My number three is just like. But I've internalized your number three also. Yeah. Like, clearly because it was on the list. Or my, it was on the list already, and I've already said a little bit about it, but it's going to... Be... And my
2: number one wasn't even in your mind when we started this
1: list. I'm going to be very honest
2: with because you. Because it didn't exist. Right. Because it's Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: But So, and I, I know my wife doesn't listen to this, so I can mention this. She, um, it was just my birthday. She kind of wrote me a letter, because we used to, when we were dating, we used to write a lot of letters. And she, on her own, watched your number one, and she referenced it in her. She like it. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's. I'm not going to use the word like, but it's not because she didn't like it. I think she, it moved her. You know what I mean? And and which is I think different than liking something. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you no, know that's... what I mean. Where it's kind of liking is kind of not really an issue like it's beyond whatever that is it's it did it like just maybe not like changed Like it didn't change her I would say my number one changed my DNA What? yeah it for sure did um like you used to be fun (laughs) tired whatever the fuck no but just like the amount of times that we've had conversations about your number one for sure but uh, what movie is that I'm thinking of a movie it's an animated movie and maybe it's like Fucking like Jurassic Park or something. Where there's just like an animated drawing of like a nerve and it's like shaking. I don't think it's Jurassic Park. I think it's something else. And maybe I'm just, maybe that doesn't exist and I'm just imagining it. But it definitely like shook her up. You know what I mean? Where liking didn't have to factor into it anymore. It was just like, wow, that like. Did something. That did something. So I don't, and I, part of me loves those movies where you. You, it just does something to you, so you don't have to worry about whether it's good or bad or anything like that. And that's where I think my number one movie is of the year, blah, 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 blah. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, it's going to be good. Anything else? Next week, very exciting. Yeah. We will not be drinking beer. Two movies only, though, Mario. Yeah. One, the biggest release of the year. Zack Snyder's cut of the <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> yeah, so I...
2: I feel as though so, you know, a little behind the scenes here. Tom is going to come over to my to the pivotal film towers, which, by the way, folks, I now have completely in my name.
1: Lawrence Kazan has disappeared. Yeah, we don't know where he is. We also don't care.
2: He's over at his girlfriend's house <laughs> in Worcester Square. Um, but like, I have told Tom I'm getting fucked up. Tom maybe has said he might get fucked up. He doesn't have to, but... I'm bringing The Rock. Yeah. Oh, wait, for the number three or for Justice League?
1: Justice League. I'll bring
2: The Rock. Yeah. Um, I feel as though we should have something prepared to just, like, do thoughts during it. Do you want to record while we're watching it? I don't want to do that, but I feel as though, like, if we pause... If we have something to pause and, like, record our thoughts in the moment, that'd be fun.
1: We could do that. I'll bring... I'll bring... uh
2: we can discuss this after the podcast, yeah, yeah. but that might be fun. Yeah, to, like, I think so, come too. back
3: to.
1: Yeah, it's just literally my number three and Justice League. Oh, which I'm very... I mean, I'm excited about Justice League just from the standpoint, like, I have no fucking idea what this movie could even be. But I'm very excited for your number three because it's a movie that we've, we literally glossed over when yeah. we did it. And I love it. And I'm very, very excited to watch it again. I haven't seen it in a few years and by a few years I mean maybe like less than 10 but more than 5 um, but it's one of my favorite movies
2: yeah m- mine too and it's also fun in the sense of it it set me on a personality trait that maybe wasn't the best idea but mm. it was also the good idea yeah. and it's just it's, it's great
1: yeah, yeah, I'm very
2: much looking forward to it.
1: Um, so yeah, watch the movie. Guys, try to keep it try <laughs> set, to keep it below set 9%. Attire, set an entire day aside. Yeah, try to keep it below, uh, you know, if you're going to... Definitely set an entire day aside if you're going to drink above 9% beers. Um, I think we did a good job, though. Mario. No, this, yeah. For 9 little, and 10s? We did great. Unless we didn't, and we just... <laughs> <laughs> that was what we just think we did. Um, but yeah, drink uh, watch movies, drink a beer, and we will uh, we'll talk to you next